From 1987, Lisa Lisa and the Cult Jam lost an emotion. I see in the chat room, Beer and Poker, regular listener and poster on this site, did not like that song. He said, time for the mute button. But you can unmute me now. The song's over, and the show is starting after we skipped a week. Last week, there was no show. The last show we had was on April 15th. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. Tonight, just like two weeks ago, I do not have a co-host. So, that's the way it is. I'll have to make do. If you want to play in the free roll tonight, I want to let you know right now, because it starts in just 10 minutes, we have a $75 free roll tonight. And we have plenty of money left over for next week. So next week, for sure, we're giving away a minimum of $1 million. Actually, a little bit less than that. $99 next week minimum. But this week, $75. And this is thanks to Dirty Ernie donating 10 bucks. Flipper Fair donating 25. He's been very successful in the free rolls thus far in 2014. I am Greek donating 25 and regular donor Trader SHKY giving another 15. So thank you to you for adding up to be our $75 prize pool in the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You can find that by going to the very top of the screen, or near the very top of the screen, on PokerFraudAlert.com. And clicking the No Fraud Online Poker tab. And you need a separate account there. Different than your forum account here. But it's totally free. You don't even need play chips to play in this tournament. It's no limit hold'em. It starts at 7.10 in 9 minutes Pacific time. And there's no late registration. So if you don't have an account there yet or you haven't started up the poker room yet, I would get that going because you're going to miss it otherwise. 7.10 p.m., the prizes will be distributed as follows. First place, $40. Second place, $20. Third place, $10. Fourth place, $5. I will send these to you any way you want it. PayPal, which is preferred. A bank transfer. A check. Cash. Whatever. You know, I'll be at the World Series in a month. You can collect from me then if you want. Not even kidding. So this is a real cash free roll. Not some crap where you get some money on an online poker site that you may never be able to cash out from. Poker Fraud Alert has given away more money than any poker podcast or radio show in the world. Look it up, it's true. But it hasn't been my money. This money has come from our generous community, our generous listeners, like the four we had this week. And that's where all the money's come from, and I really appreciate that. If you want to qualify for the free money, because you don't just get it if you win. You have to qualify first. Qualifying is very easy. Either you have to have a registered account in good standing on Poker Fraud Alert as of June 1st, 2013. That means it has to be dated June 1st or before. And it has to not be banned. You need either that or you need to have an exception from me. And the way you get an exception from me, and once you get an exception, you never have to ask again. But email dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com. That's dandruff, all one word, all lowercase, at pokerfraudalert.com. And convince me you've been listening for a minimum of three weeks by telling me things you've heard that are 
more detailed or not listed in the show description. And if you convince me you've been listening three weeks or more, then I will give you this exception to win the free money now and forever, as long as this show exists. But get that out before the tournament starts. Don't ask me for the money after you win. Or don't ask me for the exception after you win. You can ask me for the money. That's fine. So that's dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, the email address if you do not qualify with an account registered on the forum dated June 1st, 2013 or before. And the reason we do this is just to prevent people from showing up here only to play the free role, but with no other interest in this show or this site. So here's the agenda tonight. I had a conversation with Seth Polanski. Seth Polanski is the Corporate Communications Vice President of Caesars Interactive, which, you know, he's not the Vice President of Caesars, but he's Vice President of that division of Caesars that uh, does the online gaming. He also works as a media relations guy for the World Series. So he's uh, rapidly rising in the Caesars corporate structure. So Seth Polanski, who I didn't even know had anything to do with WSOP.com. I thought he was just like a communications guy for the World Series of Poker. He called me without me asking him to call me and wanted to discuss my criticisms of WSOP.com and his colleague, Bill Reaney, who is the poker room manager of WSOP.com. So Seth called to discuss all of that with me. So... I had a long conversation with him, and I'll tell you what was said and how I feel after the conversation has taken place. This conversation was, by the, by the way, was on April 18th, and I would have talked about it last week, but there was no show last week. Well, California had a legislative hearing on legalized online poker, and 33 witnesses testified. There's currently a war going on in California between the Morongo tribe that wants the bad actor provision not in the California law, meaning that poker stars can run games in California. And then there's the ones that want the bad actor clause where poker stars cannot be part of the legalized California market. So that was also discussed at the hearing. But the hearing got a big curveball because in the middle of the hearing, there was an announcement. And just like any announcement that we do on this show, even though it's no longer a new announcement, since it was an announcement, I feel that I have to do this. So they played that music in the middle of the legislative hearing about online poker in California and broke the news that poker stars had struck an agreement with Morongo Commerce, The Bike, and Hawaiian Gardens to provide future online poker for those casinos and card rooms. So... That also became something that was discussed there. So we'll have uh, 
an analysis on this show as to what's going on in California. Will we see legalized online poker soon? And will it be poker stars running these rooms? We will see. Well, poker host, they're an online poker site that is not legal in California or in the U.S., but you can still play it if you're a U.S. customer. They are banning winning players again. They moved networks over to the Equity Poker Network. And just like they did on their previous network, they are banning winning players once again. We'll talk about that. I think that's a very bad thing to be doing. Well, the World Series of Poker is coming up in about a month. Some people, not me, but some people really like the cash games there. I don't like the cash games very much. I think there's a lot of good players that come into town, and the cash games at the World Series are actually more difficult than they are during non-World Series times in Vegas. Of course, there's exceptions, but I just am not impressed by the World Series of Poker cash games. But some people like them for whatever reason. Anyway, the World Series of Poker cash games that take place at the Rio will allow cutting in line on their waiting list to get into these games. And when I say cutting in line, I really mean cutting in line. I mean, if you've been on the waiting list for an hour and a half, and you're in the front, and I, and when I say I, I really mean me, come up and say, hey, I'd like to get into this game, and then a seat opens right then, Who do you think gets in first, you or me? Me who just came up and says I want to get in, or you who's been waiting an hour and a half and are in the front of the line? Well, the answer is me. I would be given the seat. I'll explain why, and even though I personally will benefit from this if I decide to play cash there, I think this is awful. Well, we haven't had any prank calls on this show in a while, and some people have complained about that. We have a widely varied audience here some people listen for the serious poker discussion some people listen for the editorials and opinions some people even like the funny sound effects and my unique take on a lot of these subjects but others listen for the comedy and most of the comedy comes from moments like the prank calls we have some characters here that I do when I make these calls and one of the more recent characters is El Chico Loco and he's a pretty popular character but I haven't made many prank calls on this show and in fact sometimes I feel weird making the prank calls for a few reasons number one I'm 42 years old Uh, number two this show discusses a lot of serious topics and then we break and do a prank call it's just kind of weird there's no show like this like you, you don't see the two plus two poker cast making prank calls but still I know that a lot of people here really enjoy the prank calls. So we're going to have at least an attempt at a prank call tonight. El Chico Loco is going to call up someone who is looking for steaks. I have a phone number of someone who wants some steaks. And El Chico Loco is going to make some offers. I usually don't talk too much on here about poker tournament news. I don't report who won this tournament or that tournament because... It's not very interesting, and there's a lot of better places to get that news from. But I do want to briefly discuss today Vicky Corin, who became the first two-time EPT winner by winning at San Remo. And the only reason I'm bringing this up is I had a personal experience with Vicky Corin 
two years ago. No, I didn't have sex with her or anything like that. Get your mind out of the gutter. But I did have a personal encounter with her two years ago. I'll tell you about that. And I only thought of it just because she's been in the news recently with winning that EPT event. Two editorials this week. One is poker-related. One is not poker-related. Editorial number one, it's about the PPA, the Poker Players Alliance. They are just, they are now helping with the lock poker situation, but they're taking a lot of heat. They're taking a lot of heat from people who think this is too little too late. I will give you my opinion on that. Editorial number two is about Donald Sterling. I'm sure you've heard about that. I'm sure you've heard about what's going on with him and the recording released by his girlfriend to TMZ of him making all these racist statements. Today he got banned from all of the NBA. I will discuss how I feel about the Donald Sterling situation and why I think the NBA is handling this incorrectly. Finally, if we have time, the Ask Dan Treff segment where people in chat or on the phone ask me questions about almost anything, and I will answer. I say almost because I won't answer every single question, but most questions I will answer, even sometimes embarrassing ones. So here's the ways to get a hold of me. You can talk to me in the chat room, which I admit I can't read all that much when I'm doing a solo show. It's just too much to pay attention to. But I will glance at it every so often. Like right now, I'm going to go take a look. Chat room saying, uh, Crow Diddley saying he's here for Ken Scaler. Who might call tonight? You never know. Uh, Beer and Poker saying that I got a tug from Vicky Corrin. And Sandwich saying he listens to the show for the Chainsaw Check-In, referring to Alan Kessler. <laughs> so... That's in the chat room right now. To chat, all you have to do is register an account on Poker Fraud Alert's forum and click the chat button and go right in. Very easy. You do need Flash to be able to uh, chat in there. You can't chat in that chat room if you have an iPhone. But other than that, you know, if you've got a computer, you can chat with me real time or at least chat with the other listeners who are listening live and I will try to check it as much as I can. But... Here's the more reliable ways to get a hold of me. You can text me. You can text me at our main phone number, which is 775-372-8355. 775-372-8355. And I will read the texts during the show, unless you ask me not to. I'll also give you your area code. I promise I will keep your number confidential, so don't worry about that. But that's how you text me, 775-372-8355, which is our main number. That's also the number to call me, 775-FRAUD55, 775-372-8355. You have to show your caller ID when you call me or you will not get through. And, of course, you can reach me also on the phone at our Mount Charleston line. That's 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808. That's an old 70s telephone, an old rotary phone sitting on top of Mount Charleston, which is a mountain near Las Vegas, and it forwards to wherever I am. You can't text that number. It's like you couldn't text anyone in the 70s. You can only text me on the main number. But if you call the 702 number, you can get through to me just the same. You do have to show your caller ID. 
If I don't answer your phone calls, don't panic. Just try back in about 15 minutes. I'm probably just busy in the middle of talking about something. But I'll try to squeeze in whatever calls I can. You can also text me before or after the show. And I will read your comments on the next show. All right, so here are some texts I received since the last show. This is from the 631 area code. Hi, Jively here. 631 is Long Island, but I live in the 856, now in Philly area, South Jersey. I don't know why he's telling me that, but okay. It tilts me how you harp on your 70s-style rotary phone. Can I ship you $10 so you get an 80s-style touchtone phone? Answer, no. I'm very happy with the 70s rotary phone. I'm not going to upgrade to an 80s touchtone phone. I already have a touchtone phone here. I don't need another one. Next. This was right after the show on April 15th. Do you have a good CPA? Most CPAs don't know how to file for a gambler. I do my own taxes, believe it or not. This from the 818. Great show, Druff. This is sent on April 17th. I recently saw our pal Blair Rodman on an episode of Bar Rescue. He was drunk, looked broke, and was complaining about losing at video poker. I thought it was pretty funny. Mike. So... We've talked about Blair Rodman before on this show and some shady things he's been into. Interesting news about him. April 17th from the 410 area code. I'm going to win the PLO event at the next World Series of Poker circuit and want to talk about it. Let's test out my Skype before the next show in two weeks. Have a happy, have a happy Pesach, referring to Passover. Oh, this guy's nowhere to be seen. Supposedly wanted to be the co-host. Uh, from the 954, free the sauce, referring to hot for sauce, or maybe hot like sauce. I don't know which one. 610, Drexel is God. Bring him back to radio. I'd love to. If he wants to come back, he can come back anytime. 704 says, and this is today at uh, 640 p.m., what is the best device to use to play the tournament? I use a Photon browser on my Galaxy 4. It always loses f- flash and kicks me out. I listened to the show on the iPad, but it says no Flash available. Yeah, there's no Flash on the iPad or iPod. If you want to play the tournament, then you need to use a computer with Flash or a device with Flash. I would just recommend a PC. Just get on a PC, get on a laptop, and go in there. As far as the handheld device, like an iPad or an iPhone, they can't do it. I don't know if the Androids can or can't. This is from Jay Acosta from the 951. Fuck Phil Ivy. This is Jay Acosta. <laughs> okay. Jay Acosta, by the way, blogs a lot on this site. If you go to the blogs on Poker Fraud Alert, you'll see that he's been writing a lot about his poker exploits. And from the 815 area code, that's right, bitch. I've got a boner and all these bitches be cray-cray like especially Sonatine, that midget pussy. So... The 815 area code using this opportunity to bash Poker Fraud Alert forum member Sonatine, calling him a midget pussy. Okay, so that's all of our texts over the last two weeks. And we'll get on with the show here. Remember, you can text me during the show, and every so often I will pause and read your texts. Keep them coming. So I want to talk first about the... 
situation on WSOP.com with Seth Polanski and the conversation I had with him. It was an interesting conversation, but I can't say it was entirely satisfying. Here's what happened. If you remember two weeks ago, I was really railing on WSOP.com on this show. Not the software, not uh, anything about the gameplay, but about the support and about the management from Poker Room Manager Bill Reaney, who was really disappointing me with his lack of accessibility, with his refusal to answer questions on 2 Plus 2, with the censorship on 2 Plus 2 of questions he didn't want to answer, and especially about a situation that had occurred where someone had spotted two players colluding, and indeed they were colluding, and he couldn't get an answer from WSOP.com as to what their policy was regarding cheater money that's confiscated. Because picture it, you have two players who are colluding or cheating in some way, you report them, WSOP.com looks into it and bans their accounts. Well, what happens to the money that they won? What happened to their ill-gotten gains? Does WSOP.com keep it? Uh, Do they give this to the victims? How do they distribute to the victims? How is the whole thing handled? This guy wanted an answer as to their policy on this, which is a very good question, and he could not get the answer. And in fact, Bill Reaney was deleting messages from the 2 plus 2 support forum about the situation. So I really went off about this, even though it didn't affect me personally one bit. My problems I've had with WCB.com have been more of the trivial, annoying customer service variety, but I haven't had anything like this. Like, I haven't had anybody cheat me, to my knowledge, on WSOP.com. And really, I was just going to bat for this guy and going to bat against what I saw as very poor customer service and management practices and communication practices from the staff and management at WSOP.com. And we're talking, of course, about the legalized online poker on that site that you can play in the states of Nevada and New Jersey. So, I did a show where I talked about it. I did a write-up of it on PokerFraudAlert.com in the Scam Scandals and Shadiness Forum. I tweeted links to the radio show and the write-up. Well, this got the attention of Seth Polanski, who actually called me and wanted to talk to me. Now, prior to that, I had actually asked Mitch Garber, who's the head of Caesars Interactive Entertainment, which is the department of Caesars that offers WSB.com. They're the department that puts out WSB.com. Uh, I asked him if I could speak to him about what's been going on over there. I was going to basically tell him, look, this is all what I'm seeing going on on this site that I do not like, and I want to let you know about it. I want to see if maybe you can improve it. But before I got to speak to Mitch Garber, who I, I never really... I haven't contacted him yet, just because I, I wanted to put together a good. I wanted to put together a good letter to him, and I just uh, haven't had the time to do it. But before I could have any conversation with Mitch Garber, who did tell me via Twitter that he'd be happy to talk to me, Seth Polanski called me, and we had a long conversation. I was actually surprised at the length of the conversation, given how busy Seth is at this time of year. Seth is very busy promoting the World Series of Poker. And I was surprised he had that much time to talk to me. Maybe like 45 minutes we spoke on the phone. 
But I'll tell you what was said. When I got off the phone, I thought, you know what? I shouldn't just keep this all to myself because this is information that everyone should know. And that always leaves me in a funny position for a few reasons. First of all, um, I enjoy playing at the World Series of Poker. It would upset me if I got banned from it in any way. So, you know, as you see, I'm not afraid to criticize the World Series. I'm not afraid to criticize WSOP.com. But at the same time, I, I don't want to be super aggressive, like a, like a big asshole to the people who are in charge there and then have them find some flimsy reason to get rid of me and ban me from the thing. So I always have that in the back of my mind. Though That would never prevent me from speaking the truth or giving my true opinion as to what's going on either on that site or at the World Series itself. And you've seen that over the years for me. But at the same time, you know, if someone like Seth Polanski calls me and has a 45-minute conversation with me, then I feel kind of funny about going and repeating that entire conversation to the radio show and to the forum. Because why is he calling me privately if I'm going to go spill the whole thing publicly? But at the same time, I want people to know this stuff. So I'm kind of left in a funny position. So what I decided to do was contact Seth after the call and say, I really want to tell people what we discussed. And he said, okay. I sent him a list of what I was going to say. I wasn't going to let him censor me at all. He wasn't going to be able to censor my opinions. He wasn't going to be able to tell me what I could or could not say. The only things I was going to let him edit that I was going to broadcast to the public would be either things he told me that are confidential, that I didn't realize were confidential, or things that I claimed he said that he didn't actually say. Maybe I got it wrong, and maybe he clarifies then and I put his real quote out there. So I wanted to run it by him in that way. But again, um, I did not let him at all modify my opinions. So I did. He came back with his answers, and then I made a post about it on April 18th. So let me tell you what Seth had to say to me, and I'll give you my reaction to these individual points and to the whole thing. Now, the first thing we talked about was the customer support problems. WSOP.com has absolutely terrible, horrendous customer support. And it's funny because Ultimate Poker, for all their problems, they actually have pretty good support. Not perfect, but pretty good. WSCP.com is terrible. Uh, you call them, it's completely useless. In fact, we even pranked them on this show one time, and uh, Colonel Fabersham kept one of their guys on the phone for a long time, just dicking the guy around and messing around, when the guy should have hung up like right at the beginning of the call. But they, they have no useful inf- information to ever give you on the phone. When you email them at support at WSOP.com, you get a lot of people answering you with nonsense, with form letters, with stupidity, It's kind of like writing to the small poker sites to their support and getting just terrible answers. I'm sure you've all had that experience. You know, PokerStars does this really, really well. PokerStars, you email someone. You can't call anyone on PokerStars, but you email support at PokerStars.com, and they do a great job. You deal with intelligent people. You deal with people who know what's going on. And yeah, occasionally you'll get something 
lame or stupid or obnoxious from one of the reps there, but usually they're pretty damn good. Usually you're surprised at uh, how well the responses are both written and the information given in them are put together. But support at WSOP.com is the opposite. They pretty much ignore what you're asking them. They look for quick keywords there and respond to you with form letters or don't do what you're asking. I had a comical exchange that I posted back in December with support where I was trying to get my status match done because they have a policy there on WSOP.com that they will match you to whatever status you are in total rewards. So since I'm the highest status of seven stars, I needed to be matched to seven stars and get the highest rake back. That should have been really easy. It was such a fiasco to get that done. And it was actually comical reading everything that was happening there. And this was not atypical. They just have big problems. So Seth admitted that they have big problems with their customer service at the moment, but that they're improving, he claims. But he says that they should have done better, that their customer support definitely has been lacking thus far, and that they're working every day to improve it. So I thought, all right, that's a decent start to the conversation. I mean, I think it's worse than what he's letting on. He didn't say it was horrendous. He just said that there's been some problems and that they should have done better, but it was a start. But then I asked him the tougher question. I said, what about the forum on 2 Plus 2? You guys have what's called a sponsored support forum, and yet a decision was made recently to wipe the whole forum clean and tell everyone that the sponsored support forum on 2 Plus 2 for WSOP.com is not to be used for customer support. (laughs) Which doesn't make any sense. And uh, supposedly it's supposed to just be used for promotions and not really for uh, individual customer support. But there's no way that's ever going to go over. But that's that's what the goal is over on WSOP.com. So... He stated that the reason they're doing this, I'm like, like, how difficult is it to hire someone part-time to be in that forum and answer questions? How hard is it? I mean, you can get that done in like three hours a day. You hire someone competent in, in probably like one to three hours a day can get that entire job done answering all the forum questions. He said, no, we, we can't do that. I said, why? It, it's not that much money to spend. I'm not asking you to hire a million-dollar-a-year employee. You hire one guy on a part-time basis to do this. So he said, it's not that they can't afford to hire someone. It's that they want to get away from the forum support for WSOP.com. And they want everyone to get used to using the support at WSOP.com email address for all support matters instead. So he doesn't like the forum support model. Bill Reaney doesn't like the forum support model. They are trying to get away from that. They're trying to train everyone. Stop going on 2 plus 2 and asking the WSOP.com rep for support when they have problems. Always use the email address is what he wants. So I told him that this wasn't a realistic plan because people get such poor support when they use that email address. If you use that address and you get a dumb answer, you need somewhere else to turn. Writing back to the same address is likely going to result in the same failure, I told him. Now, he agreed 
with my assessment that the support isn't that good at support at WSOP.com, but again, he said they're improving, and that a lot of it was outsourced. But he said that there are some support staff for WSOP.com based in the U.S. In fact, he said he knew some of them personally. Now, I believe this because there's one guy there who's really competent, whose name is Brandon B. I don't know the guy's full name, but it's Brandon Initial B. And every time I deal with him, he's like higher up than the lower-level rep. Then my problem seems to get solved. Brandon B. is a competent rep. He gets things done. Everybody else has no clue. So I have a feeling Brandon B. is in the U.S. I don't know this for sure, but that's my guess. Anyway, I said to him, look, if you don't want the form to be used for support, delete it. Because no one will ever be retrained. When I say no one, I mean the vast majority of people cannot be retrained to stop using forum, the forum for support and just see it as a promotional thing. Just that's not how it's worked since the beginning. Whenever sponsored support forums have existed on 2 Plus 2, it's always been for a place for players to ask specific and individual questions to whatever staff is manning that forum. It's not just a place where they post promotions and don't answer questions. I said you'll never retrain everybody after 10 plus years of it being done this way. So I said you might as well just delete it. Or if you don't delete it, make it to where nobody can post but you. Just make it clear this is not a back-and-forth place. And not just by saying so, but by either deleting it or disabling anyone's ability to post but you. So he said, hey, I understand your point. But uh, at the same time, again, he said people should use the email address, to keep using the email address if there's problems, and uh, you know, eventually it'll get solved, not to use the, support, the form for support, that that's what they're trying to get away from. And... They're not going to delete the forum. They're not going to hire anyone to man the forum. And they still want it active for, quote, general discussion of the site. They just don't want it used for support of individual questions or issues, which I think is dumb. So I said, okay, look, even so, let's say everyone learns to not use the forum to ask for support. They still need someone that they can go to when the email address people fail. When they keep getting dumb answers or wrong answers or nonsensical answers from support at WSOP.com, they need someone they can go to who's intelligent, who can look at the situation, pretty much someone you can escalate it to that will take over at that point. And there isn't anyone like that at the moment. I said, I tried to do this myself to Bill Reaney, and this is before I had any problems with him, before I had any kind of words about him. He was just ignoring me. And I've heard this from a lot of people, that they're having issues with the email address where the problem they're having is not getting solved. They tweet at Bill Reaney, and he doesn't answer them. They post on the 2 plus 2 forum, he doesn't answer them. So I said, you need a go-to guy to take over where supporterwsop.com fails. He said that they're not going to have that that he really wants people to just get used to only using the email address. <laughs> I mean, it's, he, he, just, he just wasn't getting it. I don't know. I mean, he's a smart guy. I'm not going to say Seth Polanski's stupid. He's a, he seems like a pretty bright guy. And, a, you know, as far as uh, 
promoting the World Series and uh, corporate communications. I've, I get his emails all the time, the uh, the group emails he sends out to the poker media, and I think they're very well written and very well put together. So it, you know, in that, he's good at his job, but he just wasn't understanding. And I told him, you really should strongly consider hiring someone who's easily available to the general public and easy to reach who can handle difficult or troubled customer support issues. Someone who's empowered, someone who's responsive, someone you can always reach. So in response, he said, well, they can use at WSOPcom, at Bill Reaney, at Danielle Barreal. I don't even know who that is. D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E-B-A-R-I-L-L-E. I guess it's some employee over there. Or even his own Twitter, at Seth Polanski. S-E-T-H-P-A-L-A-N-S-K-Y if you need to escalate anything that can't be done by support at WSP.com. So I said, all right. <laughs> I, I guess that's an answer, but I, I hope it's true. I, I hope when any of those four Twitter addresses get questions from people having trouble with support at WSP.com, I hope one of you four answers. So... He put that out there, though. So if you're having a problem with support at WSOB.com, go ahead and tweet at Seth Polanski if you don't get responses from any of the other three. And if he doesn't answer, say, hey, you know, you Todd, you told Todd would tell us that uh, he can post this. Something else he said. We don't believe it's a wise use of budget to put someone full-time to man forums for support-related issues which goes back to what I was saying before. So again, he stressed that they're pushing for support at WSOB.com to be used for everything. He acknowledges a lag right now in solving certain tougher issues. I said, look, players would be okay with a reasonable lag in solving something if they knew the issues were being worked on and were definitely going to be handled by someone empowered, intelligent, and competent. I told him that many of the, cur- of the current customer service issues that are being experienced on WSB.com could be fixed by just making some procedural changes and, and wouldn't even require any more spending or very, very little more spending. If you put me in charge, and I didn't say this to him, but if you put me in charge of the customer support department at WSB.com, I guarantee I could have the thing running a lot better and people would be a lot happier with the way their questions are answered and the way their support issues are dealt with. Just some procedural changes are needed. Now, if you remember two weeks ago, I talked about how 2 plus 2 had deleted all of the old messages from 2 plus 2 from the WSOP.com support forum prior to March 29th, I think. And that I told them deleting all the messages like that made it look like a cover-up, like they're trying to delete anything that makes them look bad. He said they did this just to avoid the mistaken impression that the support would still be given there. He said if people look at old threads, they'll see that people were being given support. Not very much of it, but he says since it was being used to some degree in that way prior to March 29th, uh, this was kind of a reboot So they just decided to wipe everything clean, start fresh, so they don't give the wrong message to anyone who looks at old threads. He also pointed out that 2 plus 2 itself suggested the deletions. 
that it wasn't they didn't originally think of deleting them, but someone on the two plus two staff suggested this, which I think was a dumb suggestion. He went on to say, we wanted to stress that this wasn't a support forum, so took the tact to remove support-related messages because they were both outdated, immaterial, or as we determined, given folks a false sense of belief, a false belief of what the forum was intended to be. Now, I still think this is the wrong move. You shouldn't be deleting things. It just looks bad in this day and age after all the scandals we've been through. I think they should just remove the forum altogether if they don't want to provide support there. So, okay, enough about the support. Then we talked about Bill Reaney. He was very, very pro-Bill Reaney. He expressed a lot of support for Bill Reaney. He said Bill is intelligent. Bill is a big advocate for poker in general. I said, look, I had a high opinion of Bill myself just from reading his blogs in the past. I didn't know him personally, but I thought his blogs were pretty good. Seemed like a pretty with it guy. But I told him that Bill's actions as the WSB.com manager have disappointed me. Especially when he was ignoring me personally back in December with my status match issue when the email address, you know, the support people at that place couldn't get it right. Now, he was surprised to hear that Bill Reaney had ignored my messages to him in December. He said Bill Reaney was typically responsive and cares a lot about each and every uh, serious support issue that's raised. (laughs) I don't know how I can say that. Uh, I I said, look, it's not just me who thinks this. Everyone thinks that Bill Reaney is kind of just mostly ignoring everyone. And it's been an ongoing concern for many players. So anyway, I didn't bother to debate with him further about Bill Reaney because I wasn't going to change his mind, and he just seemed to really like the guy. They may even be friends. Who knows? They probably are. So uh, he didn't agree that there was an ongoing concern by many players regarding Bill Reaney's degree of responsiveness. In fact, he said, people should appreciate he doesn't blow smoke, make empty promises, or continue discussion just to appease them. He hears them out, investigates issues, and responds accordingly. We are extremely satisfied with his expertise, knowledge, and responsiveness. Well, you may be, but I'm not, and most of the other people aren't. He he has not been responsive at all. He's been very unresponsive. He's kind of come off as out of touch. People have been left feeling helpless when it comes to support there. And he's the top dog there. But anyway, it looks like the WSOP powers that be are satisfied with Reini's work, even if many on the forums are not. Personally, I think he's bungled communications and the whole customer support model pretty badly this so, thus far. So then I moved on to discussing the collusion and cheating controversy on 2 plus 2 about you know, what is that policy? What do you do when players are caught colluding and their accounts are closed and their money is confiscated. Where does that money go? Why can't you guys state a policy on it? And why are you deleting messages when people are demanding to know the policy? He stated that WSOP.com does not and will not keep money confiscated from cheaters, which has been the suspicion. So he he wanted to make it clear that they're not going to keep that money themselves. He said the distribution of the money depends on the specific state law, whether it's Nevada or New Jersey, and often depends upon the circumstances. 
He said it has to be handled on a case-by-case basis due to state regulations. And that a general policy can't be given for that reason. He can't just say, well, we always do this when this happens because there's so many different state regulations about cheating that uh, sometimes it won't happen that way. But they have to just follow state law. So I said, look, if the law really is that convoluted, which I, I can't imagine why it is. I mean, you either confiscate someone for you know, some money for uh, cheating or you didn't. If you confiscate the money because people were cheating on the site, then there's got to be something in the state laws and regulations as to what happens to that money. It shouldn't be a case-by-case basis. What cases? You know, How is it any different from one to the next? Either they were cheating or they were not cheating. There's no in-between. I guess the only in-between was if they weren't cheating, but if someone just, like, deposited with a stolen credit card, what happens to the money then? If they beat other people? You know, like That's a tough one. But in a case where there was no stolen credit card involved, it was just someone cheating, I think it's very straightforward. I think you come up with a very specific policy and refund the affected parties that way. And if you have to follow state law, then make it very clear to the players what that law is and how you how they have to follow it. I'm not suggesting that Caesars break the law. I'm saying that they should communicate all parts of the law so everyone understands what action will be taken. And I told Seth that. I said, you have to give as much information as you can so as to quell the suspicion that you're trying to keep the money yourselves. Players just want to understand situations like these as much as they can so they can feel comfortable playing, so they can know if someone cheats them and the person gets caught and their money confiscated, that they will get the money back from the cheaters. Just blacking them out on information is not the right thing to do. And he agreed. He said, yeah, we should give more information. You're right. He didn't say they will. He didn't give a plan or a date as to when they're going to give this information. But he, he said he understood my point, and they probably should give as much information as possible. I did tell him I believed that WSB.com was not running nickel and dime scams on its players. I didn't think they were intentionally cheating people in any way. I said I didn't believe that they were trying to find excuses to keep cheater money. Because if you think about it, there is not that much cheater money confiscated on these sites. The PR nightmare they would have from this is not worth at all what they would get by keeping the money. They're not going to end up keeping that much cheater money, even if they kept it themselves. So I don't think this is intentional. I just think they're very poorly communicating what their policy is, or basically not communicating it at all. So this is an issue I said of poor communication and poor customer service. I don't believe that they're cheating anyone. So I wanted to get that out. And I told them nobody reasonable expects specific situations to be addressed in public. That is, if one guy comes out and says, hey, I got cheated, I reported it, the cheater's accounts got closed, and I never got my money, what happened? They don't have to give a public answer as to what happened to that money for that particular guy because that's private confidential information between them, the guy who got cheated, and the cheaters themselves. But it's not something that has to be broadcasted to the forums, and I understand that. I said, nobody needs to know things like that, but they need to know what the policy actually is. So, that was most of my conversation. Uh, I decided after that was 
done, after that subject was done, I would go on to bring up general World Series concerns of mine. Not too many, but just a few quick ones. Uh, I told him I was unhappy the World Series of Poker had removed so many Limit Hold'em events this year. There's only two of them this year, which is a joke. It's the second most popular cash game in the U.S., and yet uh, there's only two out of 65 events of Limit Hold'em. Way down from last year, and down even more from two years ago. He said they might add some back next year that he personally felt that it was excessive how much they removed this year. I also suggested that they apply the recent structure changes that they made in 2012 for the $5,000 or more WSOP limit events. I told them to apply those to other limit events at the World Series. And these changes basically made it to where the first few levels were not meaningless, but also rose very slowly. So like at the 5K limit event last year, the one where I came in fifth, you played for four hours with the same blinds and then another four hours again with with higher blinds. But the blinds only rose once in the first eight hours, which I thought was great. They started off high enough to mean something and then stayed close to the same for eight hours. thought that was great. In fact, I thought that really favored my style of play. So I asked, why don't you do this for the other World Series of Poker limit events? Why have the 1500 limit have meaningless levels at the beginning and then have it rise too quickly after that? So he asked Jack Effel, the tournament director for me, and gave me a response. He said, Jack told him that recreational players want a lot of play at the beginning of limit tournaments, and therefore they cannot put in these meaningful levels at the beginning or the fish will bust too fast. So I still feel there's a way to do this without the fish busting out too quickly. But this isn't going to be changing. But anyway, if if they bring back some of the limit events next year, I'll be happy enough. So here's my overall feeling at this point. Forgetting about the World Series stuff, just the uh, WSB.com issues. I still feel they are making too many excuses. I still don't understand why they can't just hire someone who's easy to reach, who can handle all the tougher support issues. Why not hire an escalations person that can read and respond to all emails of people who are concerned that they didn't get the right support out of the email address, out of the main email address? They need to delete the 2 plus 2 support forum so people stop being confused. They will never retrain the forum masses to not use that forum for support. It's just going to aggravate people when they don't get support there and they're expecting it. If they really don't want to provide support, they need to remove it or make it to where nobody can post. I still think Bill Reaney has not fared well in his handling of WSB.com thus far. I know Polanski thinks he's doing a great job, but uh, you know he may have done great things behind the scenes, but if you read the messages from the regulars in the 2 plus 2 WSB.com forum, you'll see that they all feel the same way I do. So I hope at the very least, since Bill Reaney's going to stay, I hope that he can at least learn from his mistakes thus far and provide better service and transparency as to their policies in the future and be more responsive. I don't think WSOB.com is trying to steal anyone's money or be shady. I just think they're communicating very poorly. I believe they are dealing with a lot of challenges, including compliance with two different state laws, uh, the fact that these sites aren't generating a lot of money right now, could even be losing money. 
However, I feel that a lot of these important issues have nothing to do with regulatory matters or budgets, but could easily be addressed by someone with a good feel for customer support. I don't think they have anyone on staff there who has a good feel for what proper online poker customer support should be. And that's where they differ from, from Ultimate Poker, who has people on their staff who do know what good customer support is. People like Terrence Chan, people like Scotty from Poker Stars. These guys understand it. That's why the customer support on Ultimate Poker, despite their terrible software, despite some other issues they've had I've discussed here, they get support mostly right. There's a reason for that. There's a reason that they can do it right and WSOP can't do it right because they don't have someone on board who knows customer support. And they need that. And I think they're being too arrogant in believing they do know when they don't know. I think they can make some quick and easy changes to their support structure that would greatly improve things. Finally, they need to stop deleting messages. Censorship is the last thing anyone needs or wants to see at this point after everything this industry has been through over the past 10 plus years. I do believe, Polanski, that they removed the messages simply to change the direction of the forum. But this looks bad and it gives the wrong impression. It gives a censorship vibe and that's not what was intended and that's not what they want us to come away with. So why do it? So in short, I believe that WSOP.com is not shady. I don't think they're trying to cheat people, but they have a lot to learn about customer service and communication with the online poker community. So one other aside here, Steve Ruddock wrote, wrote an article after my whole thing back and forth with Polanski and uh, everything else. And he pointed out something that nobody really knew. And that is the fact that this terrible customer support is not being provided by WSOP.com. It's not even being provided by a third-party company they are hiring. It's actually being provided by the software provider 888.com. which Polanski did not tell me. And if that's true, it's interesting. It probably is true. And when uh, Steve Ruddick asked Seth Polanski on Twitter, I didn't see a response to it. But even if it's true, which it probably is, that's not an excuse. If 888.com is bungling the support really badly then you have to ride a herd on 888.com and make sure they do better. Tell them that they're not living up to their end of the bargain. Threaten to terminate your contract with them if they do not live up to their end of the bargain. Don't just say, well, okay, it's a different company. They do things a different way. Wish the support could be better, but we're not in control. Yes, you are. They are representing the WSOP.com brand, and therefore they are representing you. Therefore, it reflects badly upon you, and it is imperative that you take action to improve it. Can't just blame it on third-party companies. That's a common trick that uh, corporations like to do when bad service is given and you complain and they say, well, it's not us, it's a company we're hiring. Well, I don't care who you're hiring. I care that someone who is representing you under your name is giving me poor service. And if that's what's happening, then you are failing, and you need to fix it. And that's what's happening here. So to me, it doesn't really matter who's providing the terrible support. And besides, that doesn't have to do with the fact of why Bill Reaney was not answering people. 
or why they won't state their policies out there on things like collusion. So it also doesn't stop them from hiring someone who's an escalation specialist when these 888.com people fail. Anyway, they've got the whole thing wrong. They've got the whole thing wrong. The last thing we need on these legalized poker sites are third world $2 an hour employees answering things very poorly and giving terrible support. Good support is imperative for an online poker site to succeed. And that's why PokerStars has done so well. That's why PokerStars has dominated the market. That's why when PokerStars and Full Tilt were two different companies, PokerStars was the more successful one because they had much better support. Full Tilt had pretty bad support, to be honest. PokerStars always had great support. They were known for great support. People trusted them for that reason. In fact, they trusted them more than they deserved because their support was so good. So... You don't need 12 years of experience in online poker to give good support. Polanski said that to me too. Hey, you know, we haven't been in business like PokerStars has been in online poker for this long. We've, we've been here a few months. PokerStars has been here over a decade. Of course they do it better. I said, no, you don't need that. You don't need 10 years experience, 12 years experience to give good customer service. In fact, you can already follow the example they've set. They've done the hard work for you. You see how to do it right. Do what they do. So, okay. Enough on that. Take a look at the chat room here. If you want to call 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355, Looking in the chat room. Let's see. Snowtrack saying Ivy was in charge of full tilt support. I don't believe that to be true, but whatever. Uh, Beer and Poker says, shout out to Claw. He was the scammer of the year. Oh, the year's still young. Maybe we'll have other scammers. Uh, What's the payout in the free roll? Just asking so I don't donk off too early. That's from Poogles, who's listening live for the first time. The payout is... 40 for first, 20 for second, 10 for third, 5 for fourth. That's the payout. You have to uh, PM me afterwards. When you PM me Dan Space Drift when you win, let me know you want the money. I always forget to mention that. Let's see if I got any text messages during this last rant. I did. From 754, what are your thoughts on the Clippers owner getting railroaded? Anytime the blacks have a chance to gang up on a white guy with money or power, they come out big. I don't feel that's what happened here. I I don't think he was ganged up on by the blacks. I I think he was ganged up on by the media. Uh, He did deserve this to some degree, but uh, I have an interesting take on this that I'll give you towards the end of the show. From the 704 area code, I play on Android. I just went out. I had to download a Flash browser on my iPhone. Not my iPhone. On my phone to play. It sucks, but it works. It's referring to the free roll. From the 410 area. area. Druff, I'm considering to fly to Vegas the day after Memorial Day when the Orleans has their poker series and the WSOP WSOP is starting. 
is it worth playing that series or just play cash at the Rio? Uh, I don't know. I've never played the Orleans series. It is true that the better players are concentrating on the World Series, so you probably have an absence somewhat of good players. But then again, you know how many top players are playing at the Orleans ever? And I already said I don't really like the cash games at the Rio. I think they're tough. So those are our messages thus far at 775-372-8355. Now, moving on, we have kind of a double topic here. And after that topic's done, I'm going to skip ahead to the Chico Loco call because I don't want it to be too late. The the later I make these prank calls, the more suspicious people are, which makes sense. Uh, some of these people are, are in different time zones. And think if you're in the East Coast right now, it's 11 o'clock. And... If you got to call at 11 o'clock, you're always suspicious. And, you know, when your phone rings at 11 at night or later, you think, who's calling me now? What do they want? You even get a little bit startled. It's just kind of human nature. You almost picture, like, someone's at your door, even though they aren't. It's like, who's intruding on my life at 11 o'clock at night? So when people get calls at that time, they're more on guard, where if they get a call earlier in the evening, uh, then they feel more comfortable. So the the key to a successful prank call is to have the victim of the call. And I say victim, and these prank calls, I don't try to actually harm anyone, except with the exception of people like Russ Hamilton, who deserve to be harmed and humiliated. But when we're just calling someone who's just kind of weird or funny or doing something strange, it's just for comedy. I'm not trying to do anything bad to them. So when I say victim, I mean in the good, clean, American fun sort of sense. But anyway, the Prank call so-called victims, it's better to call them earlier in the evening so they're more cooperative. But first I want to talk about a double topic, which is about the California legalization fight. Now, some of you might already be yawning. Some of you don't want to hear about California online poker legalization. I mean, how boring of a topic is that, especially if you're not in California? But I suggest you listen for a few reasons. First of all, it involves poker stars and involves the largest live online poker it's not online the largest live poker room in the world, teaming with the largest online poker site in the world. And second, California really is kind of it really could be the state that changes everything. It really could be the game changer, where once California makes it legal, so will everyone else. I think that California is the key, not just because it's such a large, populous state, but because once they've set the example that they will legalize it, then I think a lot of other states will file suit. And I think I think at that point, at that point, we're going to see a lot of states jumping on board the online poker thing. And then federal legalization may happen after that. California is the key. If California does not happen, if they don't approve legalization of online poker, then this is going to be a long struggle to see online poker legalized in all but a handful of states. If California does legalize it, then we're in very good shape. And even if you're in another state, legalized online poker is probably coming soon unless you're somewhere that's historically very anti-gambling, such as Utah or Hawaii. So California, they've become more and more open to this. 
enough to where they had a legislative hearing regarding legalized online poker on April 23rd, and they had 33 different witnesses testify. Sound. Here we go. A little sound problem for a second. 33 different witnesses testified at this hearing. It was a five and a half hour hearing. And it did seem that the hearing was skewed toward the Indian tribes that were for the bad actor provision. Now, we've talked about this before, but I'll review it again. The bad actor provision in California would prevent online poker companies that had participated in the online poker market after the UIGEA in late 2006 from getting involved in the legalized U.S. market. Basically, it would shut out poker stars. That's what that provision would do. Because poker stars continue to offer legalized online poker after October 2006. Therefore, they were a bad actor during that time and if a bad actor clause is in whatever law is passed in California, then poker stars will be shut out of the market, as they are in New Jersey, as they are at the moment in Nevada. So several tribes, including the Pala tribe, have gotten together against poker stars, whereas Casino Morongo, which is a very large casino in the Palm Springs area, they are very much for poker stars and very against the bad actor provision because poker stars is their partner. And that had been known for a long time that Morongo and poker stars were going to be partners, that Morongo was going to be pushing to have poker stars provide their online poker services. Basically there would be a separate poker stars for California only that you would log into. But other than that, it would look just like poker stars. It would look and act just like poker stars, except it would only be a California player pool and would be labeled as Casino Morongo and not poker stars. But for all intents and purposes, it would be poker stars. So obviously, Morongo does not want the bad actor clause if they want to partner with poker stars. So they were pushing a bill without the bad actor provision. But this legislative hearing, uh, the way it was set up, was kind of, it was organized in a way to where when the pro poker stars tribes and witnesses would speak, they had anti poker stars witnesses after them so as to give a response to whatever they say. So it was kind of positioned in a way that was already leaning against poker stars. But a curveball was thrown, and this is the second part of our topic. They went into this hearing believing that Morongo was going to be the partner of Poker Stars, and that was pretty well known, but that was pretty much it. But it was announced by Poker Stars itself at the same time as this hearing. I think in the middle of the hearing, a press release came out that Poker Stars has officially struck an agreement with not only Morongo, but the Commerce Casino the Bicycle Club, and Hawaiian Gardens to provide future online poker in California. Yeah. I was surprised. I had wondered what 
commerce was going to do. I, I'd always heard about the Indian tribes, but I hadn't heard really what is commerce doing at the moment. Commerce is the biggest live card room in the world by far. It's a huge place. You've never been there. They've got two gigantic rooms of poker, a higher limit room and a lower limit room. Now, most higher limit rooms are usually like one or two tables. This is a gigantic room that's bigger than most poker rooms. And that's just the high limit games. This is like 20, 40 limit and above, and uh, I think 10, 20, no limit and above, and some mixed games from 2040 and up. That's all in one huge room. And then there's another huge room, even bigger, that houses all the lower and lower mid-limit games. It's just a huge place. Then they also have Asian games there. They have things like California Blackjack and all this other crap. It's a huge place, especially considering that it's just a card room. That means there's no slot machines, there's no pit games, there's no real blackjack, there's no craps, there's no sports betting. It's just a card room, and it's gigantic. So I wonder, what are they going to do? What's going to be the commerce online poker room? Well, now we know. That'll be Poker Stars. Same with the Bicycle Club, which is another very big card room that's located fairly close to commerce. Hawaiian Gardens, which is an okay size. It's kind of trashy in my opinion. But I wondered about them and the other California poker rooms. So these three also signed with Poker Stars. Now, it's not clear to me how this is going to work. Are they all going to share players? Or are they going to be like four different competing Poker Stars in California? It'd be kind of weird, but maybe. Maybe it'll be the Commerce Poker Stars, the Morongo Poker Stars, the Hawaiian Gardens Poker Stars. Someone even said that maybe the Hawaiian Gardens Poker Stars will be identical to the other Poker Stars, except uh, whenever you open the software, a giant tent will pop over your computer. (laughs) So, I don't know. I don't know what the plans are as far as the player pool sharing, but PokerStars has officially entered an agreement with these four rooms to provide the online poker for them, provided that online poker is legalized in California and that there is no bad actor clause. So that really threw a curveball into the whole hearing there. What was also funny is that PokerStars was never mentioned by name. There were a lot of references to poker stars in the hearing, but they were not mentioned by name. It was made very clear as to what was being talked about and who was being talked about, but they were not mentioned by name for whatever reason. So that's what happened with that hearing. And uh, I don't know how long it's going to be until legalized online poker takes place in California. I don't think we're going to see it in 2014. I think we might see it in 2015. I think this whole bad actor versus no bad actor thing is going to slow it down. If they were all on the same page, I think it might sail through a lot quicker. But because we have this big battle between the Morongo group and the other Indian tribes that don't want poker stars in the market, and a big reason they don't want poker stars in the market is for competition, because... Uh, I guess they're all not going to use PokerStars, and they don't want to be at a big software disadvantage. 
And as you've seen from the Nevada online poker rooms, a lot of people play WSOP.com instead of Ultimate Poker just because WSOP.com has better software. The Ultimate Poker software is pretty terrible. So they don't want to be in that same position and even worse off where you have the great PokerStar software versus whatever crap the other Indian tribes partner with. So they, I think they want to get the number one software just off the table to where they'll all be closer in terms of what software they can use. So I think that's going to slow it down. But it's coming. I feel it's coming. I feel that whether PokerStars is included or not, which is questionable. I, I can't say whether it will or won't. I think it's kind of about 50-50 at this point. Maybe a little bit more skewed towards not. But regardless, it's coming. California is now taking online poker seriously. California is holding hearings about this. California is having 33 different witnesses testify about it. California is seriously considering this. And the Indian tribes have a lot of power. So, I can see this coming. But I think we'll have to wait till next year. 775-Fraud55, 775-372-8355 is the phone number, or 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. So... We're going to make a prank call here before we go on to the next topic. The topic we were going to start with was going to be the poker host banning winning players topic, but I don't want to get into all that and have it get too late. I want to do the prank call first, and then we'll come back to our other stuff. So please don't call me during the prank call. All it's going to do is distract me, and I'm definitely not going to take your call then. But it was suggested to me anonymously, I won't say who suggested it. But there's some guy who wants backing and he's posted both on 2 plus 2 and a site called GoFundMe.com. So, this is what the guy wrote. It's funny when you see these things because these guys are always putting out this pitch and they think everyone's going to take them seriously. They think if they put out some kind of uh, good sounding pitch about getting staked that everyone's going to line up to give them money. Some of them are just kind of uh, not really grounded in reality when it comes to the online poker staking situation. You've, you've really got to do better than just come out with them with a nice sounding story and claims about how good you are. You really need to be either known in some way or have made friends in the industry or whatever. So this is what the guy wrote. I started playing poker back in 2003. I was 22 years old. I guess guess he's not even that young. I guess that makes him like 33 now. And I was going to college at FVTC in Appleton, Wisconsin for an associate degree in computer networking. Already he's giving too much information. I played for 30 hours a week, mostly online and at the casino as well, however, mostly online at that time. I played poker as a hobby at the time and would pocket some extra spending money. I continued playing for fun up until my graduation in 2008. In 2008, I graduated college and started working at AT AT&T selling phones for $10 an hour. (laughs) 
I mean, if you're going to ask for steaks, you leave these parts out of the story. Uh, for uh, uh, plus an eight dollar an hour commission, so my pay was about eighteen dollars an hour. Well, working at AT and T, I would play poker at night and on weekends to add extra cash to my wallet. Around 2009, I moved up to a $100 nine-player sit-and-goes on PokerStars and was frequently crushing 1-2 no-limit and 3-5 no-limit cash games online and at the casino. In September of 2010, I lost my full monthly bonus at AT AT&T for being sick for two days and quit. (laughs) Why include this stuff? It has nothing to do with the story. Like why, why should we back this guy because he quit AT&T? I'm not saying we shouldn't, but like why even throw this in? I was playing four to six tables of one, two, low limit and $100 nine-player sit-and-goes online until April 15, 2011. I found out on April 15, 2011 that all my poker funds, $5,000 on full tilt, had been seized by the U.S., FBI, and DOJ. At that time, I humbled myself and I immediately got a job to save up money to play poker again. Since 2011, I've been going out to Las Vegas 11 times. I've been staying at Hooters because it's cheap and playing 1, 2, and 3, 5, no limit. (laughs) Let me stop right here. Let me stop right here. If you're going to put out a request like this, let me tell you the things you leave out. Uh, Number one, you'll leave out about your job at AT AT&T selling phones for $10 an hour and how you quit and how you got your bonus taken away. You just leave all that out. If you want to say, I I worked for a short time at AT AT&T but then left the company to fully focus on poker, that's truthful and it sounds better. You you don't include all these needless details that actually make you look bad. Uh, Furthermore, don't say you're staying at Hooters. It just makes... (laughs) It just gives the impression to the reader that you're, you're staying there so you can look at big tits instead of concentrating on poker. I know that's not what he's saying or what he was doing, but like, why even mention Hooters? Why say Hooters? Why not just say, uh, when I go to Las Vegas, I, I stay at properties that don't cost very much so as to keep my expenses down. This way you look responsible. You don't, you don't mention Hooters. Hooters does not bring up in your mind the image of someone responsible, even if that's what they're doing. You just can't say, oh, he's being responsible. Uh, He's staying at Hooters. (laughs) I mean, seriously. All right, so so moving on here. I mean, this this is a great uh, essay. (laughs) Uh, I've been consistently averaging about $40 or $50 an hour at 1-2 no limit and $80 an hour at 3-5 no limit playing 40 or 50 hours a week. I've been saving as much as I can to move to Vegas as soon as possible. I want to live at the Onyx Apartments on Duke Ellington Way because it's close to the Strip as I can possibly get. My opportunity cost is too high to waste time driving back and forth 20 minutes east way to work. This is already getting stupid again. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he's trying to say here that he's such a great player that 20 minutes each way to play poker will cost him too much money. Those 20 minutes are so pressure, are so precious that he could be winning all kinds of money rather than driving. So, so he's got to live at these uh, Onyx apartments on Duke Ellington Way. I don't even know much about them. I, I assume they're probably a little more expensive uh, so he can be close to the Strip. That, that's just a stupid thing to say. Uh, you can say, I prefer to be closer to the Strip so when I hear there's a good game running, I can get down there quickly. That's a good reason to be close. Or, um, you know, so I'm in the 
best state of mind because I can just immediately get to the card room when I want to rather than spending time in traffic on the strip, blah, blah, blah. I mean, like, that's good stuff to say. Not not that he's losing out on those precious 20 minutes that he could be making money. So, going on here. If you can stake me between 10 and 20 buy-ins at 3-5 no limit, $4,000 to $8,000, I will move to Las Vegas ASAP and give you 30 to 50% of my weekly winnings. Generous guy. I feel confident that I could play up to the 510 no limit at Bellagio, Venetian, and Aria, but just don't have the cash for a 1K a hand at the moment. If you could help me, it would be forever greatly appreciated. Not just greatly appreciated, but forever greatly appreciated. Let me know what you could do. Thank you, Andre. So we're going to call Andre, or shall I say uh, Chico Loco is going to call Andre and offer him the stake. And, of course, have some interesting questions for him. Now, you might be reminded of someone else that we know that had a stake. Not too different from this. Someone associated with the site at one point. Associated being that he was a user here, not that he was uh, an owner or mod here. Why isn't this loading? I was all ready for this to bang out here. It's just YouTube's freezing. Try this again. I tell you, things never go right on this show. I'll give it one more shot, and then I'll drop the reference here. <laughs> YouTube's been really slow today. Like, preparing the show, I was getting all my little YouTube clips ready, and boy, they were slow loading. So, now I guess it's not going to load. All righty. All righty. But someone just brought up to me uh, on Skype that from this guy's appeal, uh, he probably has no idea. Oh, here we are. <laughs> this is what I've been waiting for. Hey guys, it's Johnny Sepp from Project Sepp at VegasPokerRadio.com. Today was day one of Project Sepp. Didn't get off to a super great start, but at least we're in the positive for right now. Uh, it was an interesting day this morning. Started out kind of funny. I was up early, ready to go, and uh, my girlfriend's key wouldn't unlock her car. This is her key this morning, and this is the replacement key that we had to go get. It don't even look like the same key. It was too worn, wouldn't unlock her car doors. It was a whole thing. We had to go to Toyota, get a key made, and uh, I finally got the Fox. It was about 30 minutes past the point uh, I wanted to get there. Uh, my early- so, of course, that was Jacob John Sepulveda, who scammed a lot of people on the site and scammed the 22Q charity. I think he tells these detailed stories about it, the key and the duplicate key being made by Toyota, blah, blah, blah. I wonder if this is all just like completely made up or if he took a real story and incorporated it into this. I'm guessing that's probably what he did. But uh, yeah, the whole, the whole thing, this is a cash stake this guy was doing here and he was just making it all up. He was just stealing the money outright and then making up phony videos about his poker play each day. This is the first of like 10 videos before the truth came out about him. So I'm not saying that this Andre individual is a scammer, but uh, I will say that this is, uh, you can't trust him either. 
And this isn't anything against Andre. You just really can't trust anybody offering a cash stake unless you really, really, really know them and trust them very much. Like, I wouldn't even blame you if you didn't trust me on a cash stake. I would never screw you. I could have totally screwed Jean-Robert Balland one time when he uh, bought a piece of me in a Bellagio cash game. I could have claimed I broke even or lost and no one would have known the difference when I actually won. But I paid him. I, I contacted him and paid him. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't screw anyone. But I could even understand if he still didn't trust me and said, hey, you know, I never know if you're shaving a bit off, if you're really telling the truth. You know, cash stakes are just very dangerous because there's no record of what's happening with them unless they're online. Live cash stake just should not be done. So, ignoring that, even if this guy is sincere, even if he's just a guy who wants to be staked and isn't planning to screw anyone, which is possible, uh, this whole thing is kind of ridiculous, and I think it deserves a call from El Chico Loco, even if the guy's doing nothing wrong, just because I think it's funny. So we're going to call him. Hopefully he hasn't got any other prank calls about this yet, because uh, then he won't be as receptive. Let's see what Andre has to say about all this. Hopefully after all this build-up, he's going to answer the phone. Uh-oh, I don't like that. Sounds like a voicemail ring. Did he really send this to voicemail? Uh, five rings were... Drawing to like a two outer at this point. Now it's a zero outer. Hello, this is Andre. Leave a message. Hmm. Well, that's too bad. Maybe we'll try him a bit later. I still think it was funny to read what he wrote there. <laughs> uh, it's funny. Uh, in addition to the fact that he wanted a cash stake and was including too many details, uh, if he's really making 40 or $50 an hour at 1-2 no limit and $80 an hour at 3-5 uh, no limit playing 40 or 50 hours a week, then he should have no problem putting up some money for some really cheap place to stay over there and just make a go at it. He shouldn't need anyone to back him at that point. So I don't even believe these win rates. Of course... 11 visits isn't enough to be able to tell if you'd be a consistent winner. You can easily run way above expectation on 11 visits to Vegas. But I've noticed a lot of these people asking for stakes always claim these amazing win rates, and you wonder, well, where'd, the mo- where, where'd all the money go? If you're winning so much, why do you need me to give you money? It doesn't make any sense. Even Greg Raymer asking for that 100K to play cash games and tournaments. You're like, He's like, yeah, I've won every year for 20 years. You're like, okay, well... If you've won every year for 20 years, why do you need 100K? Why is your wife objecting to you continuing to play poker if you've won every single year for 20 years, including huge money in 2004? The answer, because he has not won every year for 20 years. So, I think that Andre here is just kind of a dreamer who embellished things a bit to make himself sound better and more successful than he is in poker and needs money to continue playing and hoping people are going to jump on it. But he doesn't understand that there's 
thousands of people like him writing things just like this, albeit not quite as ridiculous. But we'll try to get him later. If we do, we do. If we don't, we don't. But I tried. I tried. Can't blame me for not trying to get Chico Loco on the show. Let's go back to the poker discussions. Let's talk about poker host banning winning players. That is not good. That is something I do not like to hear, even though I've known about it for quite some time and even discussed it before on this show. On October 29, 2013, I reported that poker host was banning players for committing the terrible crime of winning. So this was a fact. This was really happening. And they were basically saying, hey, we don't want players who are just going to take from the site and not give. It's bad for the poker economy. We don't want you here if all you're going to do is win, win, win. If you're just a, a grinder who's going to keep winning, we don't want you here. Your win rate's too high. You're, you're bad for the poker economy. Uh, we're really aiming this site toward recreational players who win sometimes, lose sometimes. In reality... They don't want the winning players because the winning players are the ones who are taking money out of the pool that gets raked. The way poker sites make money is by deposits coming in and never going back out as cash outs. And the only way that works without stealing the money is if all of that money gets raked. And the way it gets raked is when it's being traded back and forth between players who are not winning consistently then the money stays on the site. Once someone wins enough money to where they have what they feel is an excess of money in their account, then they cash out and they take the money and they put it in their bank and that money can never be raked again. And in many cases, the site is out the deposit fees and withdrawal fees they had to pay the processors, which is sometimes pretty high. So they want the money to get on the site and stay on the site and never leave the site and the winning players are the ones getting in the way of that. So by removing the consistent winning players, uh, they prevent money from leaving the site, which I think is very disturbing. And this is a little bit different than a place like Commerce, like a live poker room. The difference is, a live poker room, typically someone will buy in, they'll bring their chips to the table, and then when they leave, they will cash out. So there's constant buy-ins and cash-outs. Usually there's a cash-out every single session by every player unless the player busts what they've bought in and and don't rebuy. So, for example, if somebody buys in for $600 and decides to quit when they have $178, they don't take the $178 in chips and leave. What they do is they cash out for that $178 and just accept the loss of $422. But the point is they actually have cashed out the money they had left. Where in online poker, they don't do that. Online poker, they typically keep it in their account until the account either busts or until they get the account high enough to where they feel comfortable withdrawing and still having enough money to play. So that's a huge difference because commerce only only makes their money when the rake is actually dropped into the slot. The online poker sites get their money from the deposits and they only lose that money back from the withdrawals. And if the withdrawals, like let's take an example where a fish puts $5,000 on a site. The site pays some pretty hefty deposit fees to the processor to get that $5,000 on the site. 
The fish goes and sits with a pro at 1020 no limit heads up. The pro crushes them in a few hands and has their $5,000. The pro says, oh, cool, I'll cash this 5K out and hits withdraw and cashes out 5K. The site has just lost money through this whole thing, even though they collected a little bit of rake. Why? Because the little bit of rake they collected on that 5K does not come close to covering the deposit and cash out fees. So what they really wanted with that 5000 was for it to stay on the site for a long time and get raked. So it's a big difference than a site like, than a live poker room like Commerce that all they care about is dropping chips down the, the rake slot. And they don't care what you buy in and cash out for. So this was poker host Shady Way of finding a way to keep the deposit money without directly stealing from anyone. I still thought it was pretty bad and pretty shady. But that's old news. That's news from October. They were on the merged network then. They then moved over to the Equity Poker Network. The Equity Poker Network is a weird but growing poker network (laughs) that is considered non-profit. It's a poker network where the member skins can pretty much do what they want. They can offer whatever rakeback deals they want. They manage their own money. The only way they're all associated on the equity poker network is that they share players. That's it. The network itself makes no money. Only the skins on the network make money. And the equity poker network now has poker host well now that it's on the equity poker network poker host has once again shut out winners from the site they claim that the quote small but growing network cannot handle it this is from poker fuse who did an article on this uh very recently. It says, Poker host, which recently moved from the merge to equity poker network, is reportedly terminating the accounts of, quote, aggressive players with indications that the policy is network-wide. So they're claiming that the network is going to be doing this, not just, uh, not just this one skin. Though not explicit, quote, aggressive is being interpreted to mean high-volume winning players. A message from poker host posted publicly by an affected player explains that since Equity Poker Network is a small but growing poker network, it cannot afford, quote, aggressive behavior from its players. (laughs) So you see what they're doing here. Instead of saying you're a winning player, they're saying uh, we want this to be a more friendly network where people aren't as aggressive at the poker table. They don't mean verbally aggressive, or of course couldn't be physically aggressive being online, but just aggressive in poker play. We don't want aggressive poker players here, which is ridiculous. Uh, we are now in a network that focuses on having recreational poker players and you do not meet this criteria, said the letter to the player who got banned. Apparently such a policy may only be a temporary measure while the network grows, says PokerFuse. And here's a quote from the email to that player. We will be happy to hear from you in about six months to a year, the time we expect to be big enough to afford your activity and continue the good relationship that we have had. 
reads the email. The correspondence follows previous reports of account closures. One player who claims to have been banned within days of creating his account was informed that, quote, a series of background checks was performed to assess the player. So equity or not equity uh, poker host was claiming that they looked into this player and saw elsewhere that he was a winning player and wouldn't even let him play after a few days. The Equity Poker Network launched in November 2013 as a non-profit poker network. Profits are shared back to its member skins, and a shark tax is imposed on skins that have an imbalance of winning to recreational players. And that's the big thing here. Uh, that's something that Equity started doing recently, and that's the shark tax, which is basically any network that doesn't have enough recreational players, any network that has too many winning players compared to the other skins. I, didn't, I said network, I meant skins. Any skins that have too many winning players versus losing players have to pay a fine to the other skins. And the intention here is to force all of these skins to market themselves, not just to the high-ranking winning grinders, but to recreational players as well. The problem here is you can't just magically find bad players. You can't put out ads saying, attention, bad players, deposit here. So... You really have no control who reads your ads and who joins your site. There's really no place you can advertise. It's not like there's a, a place where all the bad players get together where you can advertise for them. You, you just can't. There's no way to control who signs up for your site. I guess Poker Host is trying to control that by doing these background checks. You see how crazy this is. In order to prevent this shark tax, now you have sites that are not only banning winning players, but they're actually looking into the background, they're Googling players or whatever they're doing and finding if there's any evidence that this player is a pro and then gets rid of them before they can even start. So this is really terrible. And this is really why we need legalized and regulated online poker in the U.S. Because this is absolutely outrageous. And I hope that any network or any sites that are doing this go broke and disappear. It's their right to run their network the way they want. It's their right to run their skin the way they want. But this is just outrageous. It's punishing people for success. It's one thing if they want to give incentives to the weaker players, like Bovada does that. Give them better deposit bonuses or whatever. But it's another thing to ban winning players altogether just because they're winning. That goes against the whole nature of poker, where the most skilled player wins. On poker host, the most skilled player doesn't win. The most skilled player gets banned. So, don't give your business to poker host. And I I don't like the equity network with a stupid shark tax, because that's what's causing this to happen. I know poker host had a history doing it before, but this shark tax is just unfair. And it gives these skins an incentive to kick off the winning players because they can't control who signs up. So then the only way they can control it is by aggressively, using that word again, looking for the winning players and getting rid of them before they can even win. That's just a slippery slope and it's something we don't want to see in online poker. Players should say no to this. Players should encourage a boycott of sites that do this. And I really hope that the U.S. gets its ass in gear 
and California gets its ass in gear and online regulated, legalized online poker occurs. So crappy little sites like this get shut out and we never have to hear from them again because this will never go over once everybody in the U.S. has a choice as to where they play beyond these crappy little networks that exist right now. Let's take a look in the chat room. Short Bus Poker saying, truly, truly, truly outrageous. Let's see what else. This aggression will not stand, says Real Talk. All right. Let's move on to the next topic. Let's have uh, Chico Loco try to make one more call to this guy. Don't you know I'm loco? Hello? Hey, uh, can I speak to Andre? Uh, yes, this is Andre speaking. Hey, man, I'm sorry for calling you so late, man. I don't even know where you are, but um, okay. I live in I live in Los Angeles, and I saw I saw on a, a site called uh, GoFundMe.com. Do you want some some poker stakes or some shit? Yes, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you know, I read your story, man, and it actually it, it touched me. You know, no. First, before we go anywhere, can you tell me where you live? Uh, I live in Wisconsin. I live in Oshkosh. Okay, that makes sense. You live in you live in Oshkosh, man. That's kind of funny, man. You go, hey, man, where you live? You go, oh man, I, I live where the fuck out in Oshkosh. You you actually telling the truth, man, when you say that shit. That's funny. Okay, so well, what, well, what, you know, why? I mean, if if somebody's gonna stake me, I'm I'm trying to tell people the truth. Like people, nobody believes me that I'm making forty bucks an hour at one two, but I mean, every like I do make forty bucks an hour at one two. You know what I mean? Okay, yeah, I mean, no, no, I, no, I, you know, I got your, I, I read your thing, man, and you know what makes me think that, you know what makes me chico loco think that you're telling the truth is because you put all this shit in your thing that no one usually puts in there. Like you go, hey, I, I was working for the AT and T, and I make a ten bucks an hour, I'm making eight bucks in commission, and uh, the eighteen bucks an hour, but they took away my bonus and I quit. I'm like, why the fuck are you telling me this shit? And I go, oh, oh, he's telling this shit because he's trying to give us a picture of what is happening in his life so we, we know the whole thing. And when people... Right, I mean, right, exactly. I mean, that's when you realize, man, after you play so much poker that that's what you're going to do. You know what I mean? I don't know what point, I don't know if you're a grinder yourself or whatever, but I realized that when I was in college and, you know, I was working at AT&T, like I said, and I, I would come home on the weekend and I would play an absolute and I would $500 every weekend, you know, just play it, you know, for five hours. Oh, wait, whoa, 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 wait, wait, dude, dude, dude. Now, now you're starting to scare me because you're saying you're playing on, on absolute poker. You weren't like that, that pot ripper guy, were you? Because I heard that guy was like cheating. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was, I was not the pot tripper guy. Okay, no, that gets me scared. Like when people say, oh, man, I win a bunch of money on absolute poker. I'll go, yeah, man, I bet you did. I bet you fucking steal well, from no, me. That, no, that's only because they gave me a rake back, like 33% every month through some website. So I just kept on playing off the rake back. I didn't recommend it to any of my friends to play on. I said, 
you know, I, you know, I, this is my disclaimer. I'm just getting this rake back playing with this free money. You know, I mean, that's, that's what I was doing. So then I was winning money off that generating more rake back every month. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, you know, look, man, I, I just want to make sure that, you know, you ain't going to be trying to call shit with 10 high when people go all in, you know, like if you can see their cards, no. then that, that's cool. But Hold you on, let me, let, let me plug in my phone, sir. It's about to die. Okay. One okay. I, I'll wait here where you do that. All right. Don't you know I'm local? Okay. Sorry about that. My okay, okay. About yeah. To die. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no problem. I just put on some music in the background. So, okay. Um, so, okay. I've read in your story there, and you say that um, you lose your bonus in 2010 because you got sick two days and you quit and some shit like that. And you were you were playing on Poker Stars, and then the Black Friday happened, and then Full Correct. Tilt, Full Tilt, they they take all your money of five thousand yeah. dollars. Now, do you know that the Full Tilt has give, given people the money back? Do you know that has happened? Right, right. But I'm I'm apparently I'm going to be in the third round of disbursements because what I did is I disputed my balance because what um what happened is the day before the poker thing shut down, I withdrew half my money. I tried to. So, mm-hmm. and they they sent me a thing, and they said that, you know, we only have this $2,500 to give you. And I said, well, no, no, no. I have this email because I saved it from the day of the shutdown, you know, or the day before. The 14th, I saved that email, and it said that, you know, this was supposed to go to your bank account. This is the number, you know, the, whatever it is, transaction number. So I saved it, and I... You know, I had my email box, and I sent that to them. And so they have to look into that. You know what I mean? Okay, so, 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 what, they're, so, so what they're, what they're going to say to you is that they're saying, you withdraw the money, and you're like, yeah, man, but I don't get the money because I, I withdraw right before the Black Friday. And they're like, no, 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 you got the money, so we only paying you half yeah. of that. Is that, is that what shit happened? Right, happen? right. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to settle for half. They're like, well, then you're going to have to go at the third round of disbursements, you know, because we're gonna we're gonna have to look into this more, and I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. I mean, I guess I can't can't say no. I'm not just gonna take the. And then I I asked him, I guess, because I really wanted money. I asked him a month ago. I said, well, can would you get would you guys just give me the twenty five hundred? So hold on, like, hold on. Well, you know, I I get all that shit. You know, because something happened to me. This is gonna sound like a funny story, man. But okay, I was in I, okay I was in East LA at the Taco Bell there, and. I had ordered my tacos, and then a drive-by happened, and they closed the whole place down, but they already took my money for the fucking tacos. So I go back in the next day. I go, hey, I want my $4.87 back. I know it ain't much money, but I want it back. You never gave me my tacos because the, the drive-by happened. You closed the whole place down. And they go, no, no, no. You, you know, you would have gotten your tacos. I go, no, man, they're not going to serve me my fucking tacos after a drive-by. And they would not give me my $4.87 because they say – that the, the transaction was completed and they didn't give it to me. They thought I was trying to cheat them, man. So, so like, I feel your pain in this situation with the full tilt, <laughs> even though it is more money, you know? Right, yeah. right. Were you okay? I mean, are you okay? Not, did not anybody get hurt? 
No, 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 nothing happened to me. It, was, it happened like you know, outside and right in front of the place. They closed it down because they're scared. You know, nothing happened to me. You know, I'm right here talking to you. But um, right, but nobody, you know, your friends or anything. No, no, no. I was just out the four dollars and eighty-seven cents. It pissed me off. So, so anyway, uh, so so you say that uh, when you go to Las Vegas, you go, you've been down eleven times, and that's. I am pretty impressed that you have counted the number of times you've been to Vegas because they they say in the commercial. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Like you're going to pretty much forget because you're going to be having such a good time there. But you actually count the times you go to Vegas, not not nine, not ten, but eleven times you've been there. Well, I'm pretty much all business about it. You know what I mean? I just, like I said, I mean, I don't, I don't go there to mess around. I, you know, I'll be honest with you. The first couple times I went there, I got caught. You know, I was on my way to poker tournaments. And I got caught up talking to women on the strip, you know, and I was distracted. And uh, and I thought, that's I'm not going to do that anymore. So well, that, hold on, hold on, hold on. That that brings me up to my next point, though. Okay, you say you don't want to be distracted by the girls on the strip, and I meant, man, when I go down to the strip, you know, at Chico Loco, I'm looking around, I see all the girls, I'm like, damn, I'm like, I cannot keep my mouth off anything else. So, I I think, why would you go of all places to Hooters, which is not known to be a place? Where girls are not going to distract you, right? Like, why don't you go to uh, the Riviera or well, something I, where you know that? Uh, well, I, I don't play at Hooters, sir. I just, I just stayed there. You know, I stayed at MGM Grand a couple times. It's a little more expensive, you know. But if I'm winning, you know, maybe I'll move over somewhere. You know, sometimes I'll book like three nights, book a one way, and then book one way back whenever I want to go back. But aren't you worried that when you are on your way to play poker that you're you're going to pass by some some waitress with the big bazangas and you're going to go oh man I don't want to go play poker now I want to go talk to this girl and then you're going to miss a good game like maybe you should stay at the Riviera with the uh, with the grandmothers and others that you know you're not going to be attracted to. Right. Well, Riviera, that's you know that's it's quite a ways down there. You know, I I like to stay. You know, it's stay safe. I mean, it's pretty dangerous place. You know, there's a lot okay. of stuff going on. In Vegas. Yeah, yeah. You know, you I, I, if you've been there, I, you know, we both know there's a lot of stuff. I mean, I'm just trying to get it alive. I mean, that's serious. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I'm not saying necessarily the Riviera, but it can be anywhere that is, you know, not as distracting right. as Hooters. It's just the Hooters thing jump out well, at me I because know. I'm like, I the guy I don't, the guy don't want to be no distractions, I, but then, then he goes to Hooters. I'm like, you go to Hooters to get distracted. No, 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 no. I just go in there at the end of the night, you know, that's it. Walk by the chicks and I just go, no, I just go to my room. No, okay. I don't get distracted. All right, all right. You no. know, you don't got to be a eunuch or nothing. You know, if you, if you see some hot chick in the Hooters, you know, I don't care if you could take her back to her room and bang her and some shit, but, you know, like I just don't want it to be, like, taking over your well, life, no, you know? I, no, I, no, I would I would stick to a girl's only name, Kristen, at the Bellagio. Okay, I don't no. know what that means, but okay. So, all right. Um, so, this Onyx Apartments in the Duke Ellington Way, I do not know what that is. What, can you describe what is the Onyx Apartments on the Duke Ellington Way? Well, the Onyx Apartments in Duke Ellington Way, that's right behind Hooters. So, I thought, well, if I would live there, I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be killing my opportunity cost too much. You know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be such a high opportunity cost because... I'm right, you know, a block away from Hooters, and it's not that, you know, it's not that expensive. It's only fifteen hundred a month for a two bedroom, and I think it's about eleven or twelve for their one bedroom. So I thought that would be, you know, that'd be doable. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I thought 
otherwise, my other option is to, you know, get an apartment somewhere else or a room share, and I'm going to be paying five or six hundred bucks a month. You know, five hundred for the room, and then another hundred for utilities. So, you know, six hundred a month, that's fine. But then I'm going to lose, you know, eight hundred plus dollars, you know, potential dollars sitting at the tables because they got to drive back and forth. So, I mean, mathematically, I thought. You know, it just makes sense to pay, you know, bite the bullet, so to speak, and pay a higher price for an apartment closer to the strip. And I okay, now, now so I got a question for you regarding that, because this is the one part of your of your little uh, letter there I did not understand, okay? So you talk about the opportunity cost, that uh, 20 minutes each way is costing you money pr- because you could be winning money at the poker table instead of driving. And I understand that, but... What that means is every moment you are not playing poker is costing you money. It's not just the time well, you spend yeah. driving. So, so what I'm saying here is, like, sh- should you be promising maybe that uh, you only take two minutes to take a dump instead of taking 10 or 15 minutes reading in the newspaper or reading ESPN on your well, cell phone? You know, like, maybe you should be taking shorter shits and then live further away from the strip and save the money. I think I'm not even kidding. Like, there's, a, there's a many ways to no, save I time. Mean, like, I get your point. No, I, you know, and I, I get your point. And you can't, you know, you can't, I, I went to school, I was actually going to going to college, a graduate computer networking degree, and I was going back to school for econ, because I really enjoyed uh, my econ class in my other college. So I thought, well, this is kind of up my alley, so to speak, and that's why, you know, that's why I learned about opportunity costs and everything, and that's that's why I think about this, but... You're right. To a degree, you have to, you know, you can't let opportunity costs take over your, your Yeah, because it takes up your whole day. Like, you, you know, you're going to go to sleep at night. Right. And then you, right. they, like, right. while you're sleeping, you're going to have a dream. And you're going, oh, shit, man, I have this dream. <laughs> this dream may take me two hours, man. It cost me 200 bucks to have this dream. Like, you think like that, you're going to go crazy. <laughs> I know. No, but, I mean, you do have to be consciously aware of, you know, what you're doing with your time, I guess. And I am aware of that. You know what I mean? I guess... Yeah, you like like That's if your you know, yeah like if I your mean, mama your mama calls you on the phone and you're like hey mama I can talk to you you know you take half an hour talking to me on the phone you cost me twenty five bucks you ain't worth that mama get get and you hang up on her you know you can't <laughs> well, do that my shit. mom my mom's dead and oh you no know, I'm sorry I don't need to make fun the, of your mom she here, was man. worth all the money in the world sir. And, you know, I was up, I was with her to the last minute that she died. And that's one of the reasons I didn't move to Vegas sooner. And, you know, I was out there a lot of times and I had money in my pocket. And, you know, I could have got like a shared room or something like that. I could have done that or whatever. But I, I did not want to leave my mom because I knew she wasn't well. She, I knew she, she didn't have cancer until I didn't know that until last I told her. But I just knew she was not doing good. Yeah, you know what? You know, so, I, I I feel bad for you to have this situation. I'm sure it was very painful for you. And I, you know, when I talk about your mom, I did not, of course, know this. But um, no, no, I know, I know, I know. That's okay. She's in a better place. And you know what? Now that now that she did die, I mean, now I could, you know, now I can move to Vegas, you know, and actually do this. I mean, that's. That's what I wanted to do before, and I was getting frustrated, and I was getting to that point. I mean, before Black Friday, I was playing online with Space Gravy. I was playing the $100 Satan goals. You know, I'd have eight of those running at one time. You know, I was doing real good. I know, Like, I know how to play tournaments, and especially once you get, you know, further into the tournaments from those Satan goals, you know, I really got experienced. I mean, no, no, I'm a little confused now. What What is this Space Gravy? I do not know what that is. Oh, Space Gravy's a, he's a player. 
oh. on Poker Stars that I would play these singles with. He's a really good player. I, I thought there may be some, some kind of new kind of poker, like like maybe the new version of Badoo no. Badoogie or something. I did not know. Okay. All right. No. That'd actually be a good name for a new poker game, you know, Space Gravy. But, uh, yeah, you know, when you talk about going to a better place, you know, my mama, she sent me from Mexico here to, to L.A. She say, she told me to go to a better place, to go to the place with more opportunity. And I come here, and I, and I make money in some ways, and I start to play poker in some other ways. And then, then, I, then I pay someone to bring my mama here, and now she is, you know, she is here with me. So, so I know I understand what you're saying. So, yeah, uh, I mean, I would say, you know, spend as much time with your parents as you can while they're here, you know. Even if they do get on your nerves sometimes, you know, you got a bad time, you can't replace that. So yeah, no, there's a good, there's a good lesson you give us here. So, so okay, right. you're, so you're saying that you, you want to play the uh, the three five no limit uh, and, and get the stake for uh, four to five four to eight thousand dollars. Now, here here comes a big question for me, and this is this is the part that concerns me the most. Okay. So you mm-hmm. come you come to Las Vegas and you know you stay at the Onyx Apartments on the Duke Ellington Way and you you don't look at the you don't, because you are not staying in Hooters you don't got to look at the Hooters and you you know there are no big bazongas distracting you and you're doing all good but you're supposed to give to me the staker thirty to fifty percent of what you win but how do I know? that you actually win what you say you do. What if you win, uh, you know, $2,000 and you tell me you win 1500 What if you tell me you win 1000 How am I going to know? Well, I guess you're just going to have to trust that. I mean, I don't, you know, I guess, you know, if you want to have, if you want to come down to the casino and watch me play or if you have people at the casino, I mean, that's fine. I mean, I know a lot of people do. I've been at the Blasio in certain rooms before and they're talking about, hey, I got, I got a bunch of horses in this room right now, you know what I mean? So, I mean, I do know that people do watch you, you know. I, I'm, yeah, well, he, I'm here's, honest, here's I'm my guy. I, mean, I, got, I got an idea. I'm sure you are an honest guy, and I'm not questioning that, but I'm just saying, you know, I do not know. You do, you do not know me. I do not know you, okay? So well, I, I got an idea when I read your thing here, okay? See, I have, I have yeah. a, I have a cousin. His name is Francisco. Okay, now Francisco, he is not the nicest guy sometimes, and he does some things he should not do. So what Francisco he is, he has been doing recently, and I, I'm not saying I approve of this, but Francisco has been put a device on his sneakers when he goes out and walk in public, and what he does is it is a camera on his sneakers, and he gets really close to girls who are wearing a skirt. And he he puts his feet kind of like under where their skirt is without you know without kicking them, so it goes up their skirt and he gets you know in, into the camera and it then it broadcasts into his phone which is in his pocket and then he gets these upskirt pictures and then he goes home and and uh, you know he spanks the tamale to them. So I say you know this is not very nice for him to be doing to invade these girls' privacy by doing this, but but he does it anyway. So but then I think you know maybe some good can come from Francisco's invention, maybe. Maybe, maybe I could put this device from Francisco like on your chest, not not to look at the at the girls, but to look at the poker. And then what I can do is it would broadcast to your phone, and then you could upload to me what it saves in your phone of your session. And then I see what you win and what you lose. And then this way, there is no question that uh, you have actually done what you say you are going to do. And I think this may be the the best way. To do it to where you know I I know I can I can trust you and there's no question. So what what do you think of that? Well, I mean I think 
as long as it's legit to the poker room, I think that's okay, but I don't want to break the rules at the table. You know, I'm not trying to get banned from the casino. You know what I mean? I don't think if, they, if they're not okay with it, you know, device at the table, I don't think that's a good idea, sir. I mean, yeah, no, no, I understand. That, now, that is one thing we would have to check into, that this is allowed. And they're like, let me tell you, I had a bad experience about a year ago, okay? This guy named Juan Sepulveda, you know, he seemed like a nice guy. And he said, you stake me in the cash games, and I am not only going to play and give you results, but I am going to do a report and post on YouTube every day. So you can see how I did. So he did this report. Listen to this. This is what he, he gave me on the first day. Okay. Can you hear it? No, I can't hear anything. You can't hear anything? Mm-hmm. Ah, crap. I don't know what, why this is not working. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I will have to... Um, it doesn't matter. But it's it's funny though. What's your point though? He, no, no. My point he, is he did he a very you. he did a very thing that's you know a very good thing to sound to me, like it is uh, it is real. But it turned out he made up the whole thing. He was just make he just sitting at home all day and making up stories about going and playing poker. So this this is why I'm a little bit gun shy about it. I don't want to do it. You know if so I thought about this camera Francisco is using and you know if I can get him to make another one for me. And, you know, maybe well, we have to check in with the poker room if they will allow this to be done. I do not want you to get kicked out or accused of cheating or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It sounds like, you know, I don't know I don't know if they would do that. You know, yeah, well, okay. So th- this is what I'm going you're to... You're looking at the cards with the camera. You know, I'm guessing that's what they would think. You know, I mean, you you pay poker yourself, don't you? Yeah, this is, this is what I'm going to do. Um... I know they're real. I mean, they're real crazy about having those phones at the Aria. They let people have their phones out right on the table and talking. I mean, I hate that. I got up and I left there a couple times because, my goodness, there's four or five people talking on the phone and texting back and forth, laughing. I thought, I don't know what's going on in this game, but it wasn't good. Yeah. They get goofy over there. Okay, so, all right, you know what? I'm going to look into these policies at the poker room. And if they are going to let me do the camera, then I call you back. If, not, if they say no, then I'm going to have to think about, do I want to get into this again and get burned a second time? Okay. Well, you know, either way, you don't know, think it over. Um, either way, right now, I'm, I'm in the process of selling my furniture. So oh, man. You're gonna, my, mom, my mom left me some really nice heirloom furniture, some council craftsmen, uh, Dixie Heritage, Real nice stuff. She left me like a sly grandfather clock. I sold that for like sixteen hundred bucks. Nice, uh, nice mahogany coffee table with a tree wood inlay. I'm thinking about keeping that. But my point is, is I'm selling all this stuff, and I'm like, I'm gonna go anyways. You know what I mean? So the only reason I really would like a backer is just, you know, to to lessen the variance. You know, for myself, that's the only reason. Here because I'm not playing with the whole. I don't have a huge amount of money here. No, you know no, what I mean? you know what? I understand, I man. Need, so, I do so need to live and everything, and I and I do think Onyx really would be the best place to live. I, I think maybe but you I got the. Know. I think you got a point there. You know, so I'm going to to consider this, and I understand everything you're saying, and I, I you know, I think it's very good that you you uh, give so much detail in in what you're doing, and I, and you know, if it whether it is me or not, I hope you find a staker. 
Oh, no problem. It doesn't matter. If I do or don't, you know, I'm going to be there in June anyways. Okay. You know, so it's okay. I mean, I might have to start out at the 1-2 and, uh, you know, take more shots at, at the 3-5 once in a while or 2-5, depending on the place. But, you know, I might have to. I might have to do that. All right. Well, we, that's, we, that's I, okay with me. So, I, I, mean, I wish you the good, good luck, yeah. no matter whether you find the staker or not. I hope when you get to the tables, you you win a lot of money. And, well, yeah, and here's the problem with getting the staker. Like I said, I'm making 40 bucks an hour at the 1-2, 80 at the 3-5. So let's say you stake me. Well, why do I want to pay? Why, why would I want to play at the 3-5 for too long? At that level, because I would have, I could just play the one, two people by my on my own with my own money and make the same amount of money at an easier game. Yeah. You know why would I want to play a three five and get staked? You know, you know. So what I'm saying is, I want to develop a relationship with the staker right now, work on my variance because I only have this much money, you know, to live with. I have a limited budget, and I want to work with them, and I really want to play at five ten. You know, I really do. Because right. I think I, I feel confident playing five ten. Now well, I can't say that I feel confident betting more than like four thousand a hand or something, but I do feel confident playing for one or two thousand dollars a hand. Yeah, well, I, I, I hope you. I hope you get there. You know, you got a good story here. I believe the shit you're saying. So you know, I I, I hope it happens for you. And I I'm going to look okay. into the well, uh, the camera thing. And uh, um, you know, no matter what happens, uh, good luck to you. Okay, yeah, I'll see you at the tables. All right, you too. Goodbye. Bye. So, you know, this guy actually, <laughs> this call, even though parts of it were funny, I actually felt kind of bad as it went on. I, I guess it was right when he told me about his mother that, uh, like, I, I felt bad for him. Like, he's, he lived his final days hanging out with his mother. She had cancer, and she was on her deathbed, and, you know, he spent his last moments that he could with her, and then... Uh, now he he just has a dream to come back and play poker. Hmm. I mean, I don't know much about him, but uh, even the chat room was uh, touched by this guy. So, I don't know. I, I still have to say for cash game stakes that you always have to watch out for the reasons that Chico Loco stated. But, uh, I don't know. I, I guess you could do worse than staking someone like this. <laughs> so... If anyone actually wants to stake this guy, uh, contact me and I'll get you actually his information. Maybe turn a, a prank call to this guy into something positive. By the way, during the uh, call, we had a user named The Shrink who was logging in and out over and over and over. He was in and out, in and out, in and out in the chat room. And it says, you know, the shrink came in, the shrink came out over and over, and it was like almost like bombing the chat that way. But what surprises me about it is this has been a pretty good poster on Poker Fraud Alert. This guy has never screwed around. He doesn't seem like the type who would screw with the chat. So I had to ban him from the chat room, but he's not banned from the site. So I'm just wondering what was happening. And if shrink is listening right now, I'd like to have him PM me and explain what was going on there. I've seen I've seen this happen before here, and I have to... Guess he wasn't doing it on purpose. <laughs> C Money's <laughs> even C Money, who you know, backs a lot of people, even he was feeling bad for him. I, I guess that's one way to turn the tables on our prank calls is just make us feel bad for you, and then uh, we can 
you know, end up wanting to stake you anyway. Someone's saying the chat messes up like that all the time. Wouldn't surprise me. It's not the best chat room. I can't even figure out a way to set the time on this thing. I, I tried for a while to figure out how to set the correct time. It's like four hours behind, but I can't figure it out, and it would require like a lot of going through the source code to figure it out, so I just gave up. It's not worth my time. Anyway, you know, part of me actually wants to call up and and tell this guy the truth that we were just messing with him on the radio show, but that uh, people were touched by his story, but I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's better he doesn't know. Uh, I actually had a situation like this. This was in 1993. There was a girl I was friends with named Heidi. And Heidi was up very late at night as I was at that time. So me and one of my other friends, we called up Heidi. I just said, hey, you should talk to this girl, Heidi. She's kind of funny. So I tried to call up Heidi, and Heidi did not answer the phone at like 2 in the morning. Instead, another girl answered the phone, who I had never spoken to before, and said she was Heidi's friend and that Heidi was asleep already. So we talked to this girl, and this girl asked us for advice regarding her boyfriend. And we were in a mischievous mood, and instead of giving this girl good advice, we were giving increasingly ridiculous bad advice. And the advice got worse and worse and worse, and we were sure at some point she would catch on and call us out for giving her such terrible advice. But instead, she was thanking us and saying that uh, you know we're the first people who've ever really listened to her and heard out her problems and she's so glad that she got to talk to some people like us and it really made us feel bad that we were giving her this terrible advice for fun and she was profusely thanking us and told us she would take it to heart so we hung up and we said to each other we can't leave it like this we can't leave her to go destroy her relationship we have to call back so I told my friend, hey, I'll call back on my own and tell her the truth. She'll probably be pissed, but at least she'll know not to follow our advice and no harm done other than some wasted time. So I called back and I told her. I was sure she was going to hang up on me or yell at me. Instead, she said, oh, well, thanks. Thanks for letting me know. And okay. I said, all right, well, sorry about that. Bye. And she said, wait, wait, wait. That's it? I go, what do you mean that's it? She said, well, you don't want to talk to me anymore? I said, well, I didn't think you'd want to talk to me after this. She said, oh, no, no. Um, I, I thought that was really nice. You'd call back and tell me this. You know, I want to keep talking to you. So I kept talking to this girl. And after talking to her for a while, it turned out that she was, like, extremely needy, uh, really strange and not in a good way. And I, I just didn't care for her very much. I kind of wanted to get rid of her but didn't have the heart to do so. So... Eventually, I pawned her off on Ken Scaler because Ken Scaler didn't have anybody, and Ken Scaler really wanted a girl who wanted to talk to him every day. And I figured, hey, this girl's really nice. She's like extremely needy and uh, has some emotional problems, but I think she and Ken may actually be a good match. So I asked Ken if he wanted to talk to her. He said, sure. You know, I told him the truth about where she was. Well, that was the other funny thing. She wouldn't meet me. Like, I was very curious about her, wanted to meet her. She absolutely would not meet me, despite claiming over and over how much she liked me. 
So anyway, I gave her number to Ken Scaler, or I gave his number to her, whatever. She called him up. They hit it off on the first call. Then on the second call, Ken reported to me that she changed and she got very mean to him, which was strange because she was already, she, she was always like nice to me to the point of like overly ass kissing to where it bothered me. I couldn't imagine this girl being mean. So this was at the beginning of 94 when this happened, 20 years ago. Why am I telling this story, aside from its somewhat similarity to what just happened here? You've heard this girl before on this show. That girl was none other than Angry Stephanie. Yes, the same Stephanie who yells at Ken and beats him and everything else. 20 years later, that's how it all got started. That's how it all got started because I called Heidi on that one night when Stephanie was over there. Stephanie wasn't even a good friend of Heidi. She just happened to be there one night. I got Stephanie. We messed with her. I felt bad. I called back, told her the truth, and so it began. And here we are 20 years later. Amazing how things happen sometimes. But anyway, that guy sounded like he sounded like a nice guy to me. I, I kind of feel bad we prank called him. But what can we do? We can't unprank call him. All right, let's move on. <laughs> so, Crow Diddley saying that he knows more about Ken Scaler and Stephanie than some of his cousins. That's <laughs> probably true. All right, uh, moving along here. World Series of Poker, let's talk about that again. Not the WorldSeriesOfPoker.com site, but the World Series of Poker itself. Someone was asking me, is it smart to come and play cash games at the Rio? Well, not only don't I like the quality of games there very much, I think there's too many good players, but there's a new rule in place this year that I think is absolutely terrible and is very unfair, even though it favors me. The World Series of Poker in their cash games will now allow cutting in line on the waiting list to get into cash games. This is based upon your status. Now, they had this last year, but to less of a degree. Last year, if you were a Caesars Total Reward 7 Stars member, you were promoted to the front of the line immediately. The only way you would not be in the front of the line to get into the game would be if other 7 Stars members were ahead of you already. But you would jump ahead of everybody who wasn't a seven stars. And the people who were diamond or less, there's four tiers there. Gold, platinum, diamond, and seven stars. And of course, there's people who don't have a card at all. But you have to have a card to play World Series tournaments. But most people are gold, which is the bottom level. So basically, seven stars got to cut in line, but... People weren't that upset about that for two reasons. First of all, most of these seven stars players were fish. Most of them were rich fish who shot off a lot of money in the casino, which is how they got their seven stars card. So they didn't mind having them in the game. They didn't mind them getting priority over the grinders or other good players that would be there. Now, it's still unfair to those on the waiting list. I don't think if you were on the waiting list, you'd say, okay, no problem. That guy gets a cut in front of me, but he's a fish. so I'm okay with that. You wouldn't be okay. You'd be pissed. You'd say... I don't care who he is. I want to sit down first. So still as a whole, most people thought this wasn't bad because it got fish in the game 
and there weren't that many seven stars trying to play, so it wasn't really that disruptive. Well, the change this year is that they aren't just allowing seven stars. This year, they are also allowing Diamond members to cut in line. Now, to illustrate how bad this is, the way you earn your platinum, diamond, or seven stars card at Caesars is by earning a certain number of tier points. To earn seven stars, it's kind of the way Supernova worked on Poker Stars. To earn seven stars, you needed 150,000 tier points in that calendar year. To get diamond, you need 15,000 tier points, one-tenth as many tier points as you need as a seven-star. So obviously there are far more diamonds than there are seven-stars because it's so much easier to get to diamond. In fact, you can easily get to diamond in a single day now, whereas seven-stars take some time. So now there's a whole lot of diamond players. And these diamond players now can all jump ahead of you in line unless you are a diamond or seven star yourself, which means you could be literally waiting forever to get into games because no matter where you are on the list, as long as a diamond or seven star comes and wants to come in while you're waiting, they will keep getting ahead of you over and over and over and over again. And you will never get in that game unless there are no diamonds or seven stars in line. Even worse, the diamonds are not necessarily fish like many of the seven stars are. That's not to say all seven stars are terrible players, otherwise I'd be insulting myself. But diamond players are much more common, and therefore there's a much wider variance of what you're going to get. Diamonds, because they only have to play 10% as much as seven stars, uh, they may not be the degenerates the seven stars are. They may be pretty decent players. So you're not even getting that much advantage in the game getting the diamond players in there. So it's not even helping that way. This is a terrible policy, but apparently the World Series of Poker, you know, Caesars did not care. All they want to do is give people another reason to shoot off in the pits and on their machines to get that coveted diamond and seven-star status. Now, by the way, if you have a diamond or seven-stars card, and this has been this way for a long time, you're actually entitled to use the diamond and seven-stars room to buy into events, which can be very useful for those events that have like a six-hour line, those big ones, you know, those ones with thousands of players, like the Millionaire Maker, uh, that's that room is where you do the payouts. It's the same room. That room is actually not good to use when there isn't a big line, and yet there's a lot of people getting payouts. For example, after the bubble bursts in a big field event, you're going to have tons of people in line that just shot off their money after the bubble burst to get paid, and that line's going to be a lot longer. You're going to be in the same line as the people who are getting paid to register, whereas the regular line probably won't have the big... But but in general, that's a better line to go in, and that's usually where I go to register. So if you have a diamond card or better, you can do that. Now, that I understand. That's not as bad as cutting in line for cash games because you won't be infinitely waiting. That line moves a lot faster. But... You know how cash games are. It can be a long time until each seat opens. So finally a seat opens, and then a diamond's ahead of you, and he gets in. And then a seven star's ahead of you. Then another diamond. Then another diamond. Then another diamond. You'll never get in. That's really bad. I I hope they change that policy, even though it doesn't hurt me at all. In fact, it, it helps me 
Uh, by the way, Sandwich is asking in chat, what do you mean you can easily get diamond in a single day? Well, easily, I'm saying that you can do it without uh, playing ridiculously high limits or ridiculously a lot of time. I'm not saying easily in that... Uh, <laughs> You guys hear Benjamin throwing a tantrum in the background. I was hoping that wasn't being picked up, but I, I can hear it in here. I guess this is a sensitive microphone. But yeah, he's uh, he's definitely uh, throwing a tantrum in the background. But if you earn 5,000 tier credits in a day at Caesars, you will get 10,000 bonus tier credits, thereby giving you 15,000 total, and you will have earned diamond in a day. How do you earn a tier credit? Well, at most video poker machines, you get a tier credit for every $10 bet. So you basically have to cycle in uh, $50,000 of video poker play into a machine to earn uh, 5,000 tier credits, which then becomes 15,000 from the bonus tiers. And uh, what they consider a day there in most properties is 6 a.m. to 6 a.m. It's not midnight to midnight, so keep that in mind, too. And yeah, there's a lot of variance in it, but like if you play a $5 a credit video poker machine, which is $25 a hand, uh, you could do this in about four hours. Or if you want to play a $2 credit machine, you can do this in uh, 10 hours, which still isn't terrible. There is a lot of variance, especially if you play the $5 credit machines, but uh, you can do it. When I say easily, I mean that you don't have to play like ridiculously high limits, nor do you have to play like 20 days to get it done. Jay Stat saying that uh, you can only play once every two years to earn your status and keep it. That's very true. I just recently figured that out. I don't know why it took me so long to realize it, but uh, yeah. Whenever you earn your status at Caesars, it's good for this this calendar year and the next one. So the trick is, you don't have to bother to re-earn it the next year. Earn it this year, don't play next year, then play the year after that, at the beginning of the year, because you still have your status until April 1st of the following year. So if you earn Diamond this year, for example, you're Diamond all the way until April 1st, 2016. So you don't have to bother to play again until the beginning of 2016, and provided you re-earn Diamond before April 1st, 2016, then you'll have no interruption in your Diamond status. Someone sending me a message in the chat room about getting second in the free roll, please PM that to me, Dan Space Druff. Don't send me in the chat room. I, I'll never remember what you're sending me. Thank you. So, let's move on. What is the next topic here? Oh, I want to talk about uh, Vicky Corrin. Just a, a little thing I want to say, and then I'll, I'll read some texts we got. But uh, Vicky Corrin won her second EPT tournament. She won this one at uh, San Remo. She won a previous one in 2006. So she's the first two-time EPT winner, EPT being the European Poker Tour. reason I'm mentioning this is because I have a little personal story about Vicky Corrin. I don't know her very well. I really don't know her at all. I know of her, but I don't know her. 
But in 2012, one of my pet peeves about the World Series is how poorly they inform players when they change their starting table. So you have no idea where to go. So of all things, I show up to the main event in 2012, and my not only is my table empty, but my entire section is empty. There's no one anywhere around. So I go to the next section and say, where do I go? No one has any clue. The floor man doesn't know. The dealers don't know. I'm walking around the big Amazon room. I'm trying to find out where to go. And time's ticking away in the main event. It's uh, I probably got there at like 12.05 when it starts at noon. And time's ticking away. We get to like 12.15. I still have not found my way. Still nobody can tell me where I've been moved to. I made a huge deal about it at that point. I said, look, you know, I need to know where to go. So finally they found someone to tell me. It was in a completely different room. And I demanded, by the time I got in there, it was like 12.20. I said, I want the chips back that got blinded off. I don't want you to take it from the other player's stacks, but I want you to top up my stack because of this mistake you guys made of not informing people where to go. They said, we made an announcement at noon. I said, yeah, but if you came at 12.01, you had no idea where to go. Well, then come on time next time, they tell me. So they would not top up my stack. They were telling me they can't do that, which isn't true because they've done it for me before when the same thing has occurred. So finally, the supervisor or the floor man just said, forget it. I'm not doing it. I'm not topping up your stack. I have nothing else to say to you. So I angrily sat back down. Well, right then, right after I sat back down and the guy walked away, Vicky Corrin walked in and sat down at the next table. And I heard her grumbling. Oh, I didn't know where to go. My whole section was closed. I couldn't find anybody. No one was there to tell me where to go. I walked around for 10 minutes. I'm like, yeah, that sounds familiar. So she started saying, ah, oh, they should give me my chips back. They got blinded off my stack. And I said, exactly. That's exactly how I felt. This happened to me too. And she said, yeah, that's terrible. How, how could they have no one directing anyone? And that we were fully in agreement. And it actually made me feel better. Because even though I knew deep down I was right about this, you know, the way the supervisor was treating me, he was telling me, like, basically I was crazy, that I, just, I came late and it's my fault. And while he didn't convince me, a little of me felt maybe I was just being a, a nitpicky Jew here, demanding I get my few hundred dollars in chips I got blinded off when I start with 30,000 in chips when it was my own fault for coming late. But it really wasn't my own fault because they should have had directions of where to go. You don't make one announcement at noon sharp and never say anything again and not give any anyone else instructions on telling people where to go. So Vicky Korn 100% agreed with me and uh, she wanted to get the supervisor and <laughs> ask for it. And I said, don't bother. The guy's a jerk and he refused and he'll tell you the same thing. But uh, you know, I already tried, so... We were both in full agreement, and, you know, I, I thought highly of her, not only because she agreed with me, but because, you know, she independently came to the same conclusion, and, and I liked that she didn't just say, oh, it's a few hundred chips, no big deal. She actually felt, hey, you know, this isn't fair. I shouldn't start with a few hundred less chips than everyone else because uh, the World Series didn't direct me properly. So, good for Vicky Corrin winning the EPT, and... Uh, Happy to hear it. Won't have time for Ask Dan Druff tonight. I've got to get to end the show pretty soon. I uh, quickly want to do two editorials here. 
Before I do that, let me quickly read some texts. From the 661, if poker host wants to attract losing players, perhaps they should sponsor or advertise on this site, Poker Fraud Alert. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Also, they said 510 has been the death of many a 3-5 player. So that's true. That's the one thing I'll say for this guy who's asking for the stakes that we called. Uh, maybe he is good enough to beat 3-5, but there's a long way to get to 5-10 from 3-5. You can beat 3-5, but you may not be able to beat 5-10. Big difference. And another big difference between 5-10 and 10-20. So uh, if you do want to stake this guy, I would suggest telling him to stick to 3-5 and uh, not doing the 5-10 thing unless you're really confident with him. I, I agree with that assessment. That you know, stick with what's working. Let's see if we've got any other chats here, uh, texts here at seven seven five three seven two eight three five five. Nope, not yet. So here's my editorial. Something that happened last week was that. I was looking at the chat room for a second. Something that happened last week was Lock Poker received a demand from the PPA, the Poker Players Alliance. Now, I've criticized the Poker Players Alliance before on this show. I debated with Rich Muni on this show, and one of my big complaints about the PPA was how they handled, or more accurately, didn't handle the UB situation as it unfolded. Basically, they didn't get involved. Basically, they never seemed to get involved with any of these cheating scandals or with warning their vast membership base to stay away from dangerous sites. And I felt that was almost like a dereliction of duty. While that was not their main focus, their main focus was trying to get online poker legalized in the U.S., I felt that they were overlooking a big service they could be doing for the community in warning their members about rogue or shady sites. I thought that was something great that could be done. Here they have this giant membership list. Here they have all this power to warn people, and they don't. And I was very unhappy about that. That really got me angry and bitter with the PPA. I also didn't agree about some other things they were doing, their methods, but... That was my big problem with them, is that they were not getting involved in matters like UB. They were sitting on the sidelines. I didn't like that. Well, now they're getting involved. At first, I wasn't all that impressed. They got involved with the full tilt refund issue, but by then... It was already happening, and it was going to occur with or without their help, and they really weren't going to influence it very much. They tried to get involved with getting the AP liquidation money to the players rather than to the shareholders of AP. I guess that's a noble cause, but that was definitely too little too late. And furthermore, I didn't think that a lot of the people they were helping necessarily deserved help. A lot of the people who are owed money from AP were people who shouldn't have been playing there in the first place because they knew that the same cheater still owned it. But even putting that aside, 
I felt the PPA entered that whole thing so late in the game that there was nothing they could do. And they could have entered much earlier in the game and warned people about not playing there. Then there was a lot they could have done and didn't do it. So there it made me feel like they were just getting involved to make it look like they're getting involved when in reality they really dropped the ball. So now they're getting involved with lock poker. And we're hearing some of the same criticisms that I levied against them about UB. So let me read you the letter that they sent to Lock Poker, and then I'm going to give you my opinion, which might surprise you. Here is what they wrote to Lock Poker. This was an open letter to Lock Poker. And by the way, they consulted me on this letter before sending it, and I gave some suggestions, some of which were incorporated, but I won't get into that. On behalf of the PPA, we, the undersigned members of the PPA Board of Directors, are writing regarding the current payment processes and situation at Lock Poker. We would gladly report to our membership any information you can provide. The information, the, the reason we are contacting you with this formality is due to the substantial number of complaints we've received from Lock Poker players. We have been informed that Lock Poker is taking an unreasonable time in fulfilling its customers' requests for return of their funds. In some cases, the reports are significant delays. In others, we see reports of requests for payment having languished over a year with no progress. Similarly, many players report that Lock Poker frequently responds to their inquiries about the status of their funds with canned emails or emails that simply state the request is, quote, still in processing. And we know all that, by the way, but just reading the letter. The Lock Poker website has no mention of these significant delays. To the contrary, as of today, Lock Poker support is telling potential new depositors that withdrawal requests take 8 to 10 weeks to process. <laughs> While this may be a marginal improvement over recent reports from potential new depositors of promised withdrawals in 4 to 6 weeks, it clearly falls far short in warning new depositors of the significant cash-out situation at Lock Poker. As America's leading advocate for political and legal rights of U.S. poker players, the PPA is well aware of the difficulties inherent in transferring money to and from poker players in the U.S. We are also aware of and totally committed to the principle that protection and availability of player funds is essential for a properly functioning poker economy. In accord with this, the PPA keeps its members informed of problems concerning player funds held on account at poker sites and works as aggressively as possible to protect and or facilitate return of those player funds when poker businesses have failed to do so. With respect to Lock Poker specifically, the uneven nature of your processing of player requests of return of their funds raises questions. All players seem aware of the difficult nature of the times and expect some delay in the processing of payments, but players do not understand why some players are occasionally paid within or near the stated time frame, while others wait additional months or others seem to never get to pay. Others never seem to get paid. Equally perplexing are the many reports that players are getting little to no information regarding why such a state of affairs exists. As we are sure you are aware, many players are directly questioning the financial solvency of Lock Poker and its ability to repay players. Many have begun to sell their funds on Lock Poker on the secondary market for substantially less than the face value. The undersigned board members have discussed simply issuing direct warnings to all our members concerning the Lock Poker situation, but before deciding whether to take such action, it was agreed that Lock Poker should first be offered the opportunity to communicate its policies and the situation. We would like to begin the dialogue with responses to the following questions. So here's the questions they are asking Locke for answers from. I'm sure they're not going to get answers, but here are the questions. 
One, does lock poker keep players' funds segregated from operating funds? If so, what mechanism is used to accomplish that separation? <laughs> yeah. I, I can tell you what mechanism is used. It's they steal all the money. They, they separate the players' funds from the players and put it in their own pockets. Uh, two, does lock poker have or will it be implementing a system to organize its payment processing so that those who have been waiting the longest will be given priority in future payments? Three, does Lock Poker have a timeline of its plan to pay its players in full? Yeah, that timeline is never. Four, will Lock Poker immediately provide open, accurate, up-to-date information regarding time required to process customer withdrawal requests? We appreciate there may be legal difficulties in processing payments to U.S. players, but we cannot ignore a situation where the funds of a substantial portion of the player community may be in jeopardy. We look forward to your response to our inquiry. Sincerely, John Pappas... PPA Executive Director, Rich Muni, PPA Vice President of Player Relations, and Patrick W. Fleming, PPA Litigation Support Director. So, here are some responses on Poker Fraud Alert to that letter being posted. Crow Diddley said, if you don't mind a question, why now? This letter could have been written last fall or any number of times, of other times. Would you... All not better serve the people you represent by getting in front of these things in a much timelier manner than now, when there's zero chance of Locke doing anything else but either closing, rebranding, or just disappearing into internet poker lore? You know the deal with Locke Engineer. You've known for a long time now, like most people here, that they're clearly a scumbag, moneyless fraud of a company. Doesn't this letter seem like it's way, way too late for anything but publicity? Better than no letter at all, of course, but at this point, not much. So... A lot of people liked that response by Crow Diddley and, in fact, attacked Rich Muni for sending that letter. So how do I feel? You probably expect me to echo Crow Diddley's sentiments. And by the way, Crow Diddley brings up good points, but I'm not. It is true the PPA should have gotten involved earlier. It is true the PPA should have gotten involved in the UB thing. It is true that PPA should have had a dual goal for all these years, both fighting for online poker legalization and warning players about major attempts to scam us, report to its vast membership about bad actors. I mean real bad actors, not poker stars, but real bad actors in the online poker community, and they did not do that. But, but, I have a feeling that they've turned over a new leaf, that something finally clicked with Rich Muni and the PPA that this is the right thing to do. I believed that the AP stuff they were doing and the full tilt stuff they were doing, that that was more for publicity. But this, this is actually their first attempt at inserting themselves in one of these shady online poker site scandals. And I don't think they purposely waited a long time to do it. I think only recently did they really decide to start doing it. And I don't want to give them negative reinforcement by saying, hey, you did this too late. Because the truth is, if the letter they sent... And Lock Poker is not going to take any action. They're not going to convince Lock to start acting right. But if this open letter 
convinces even a single person not to deposit to lock poker when they otherwise were going to, then it is a net win for the community. And unlike the AP situation, where they were unlikely to have any effect, unlike the full tilt situation, where it looked like they were, again, not going to have any effect, here, if even one person does not deposit there, then they've had an effect. I think that even though the PPA will not admit it, I think they realized I had a point. And it wasn't just me. I wasn't the only one saying it. I may have been the loudest person saying it, but I was not the only one saying it. But I think they realized I had a point. I think they realized that they had more of a duty to do things like this than they had been doing. And I think this letter was their first attempt in jumping in. And while they're a bit late on this one, it's better late than never because this letter still had value. And I think the next one, if there is a next one, I think they'll be on time. Because I think they've changed, at least as far as this is concerned. I think they've come to realize that this is what they should have been doing all along. This is what I've been asking for. And I don't want to discourage it by saying, ah, you're just trying to get publicity. Because if you give them this attitude, they're not going to do it again. So let's wait until the next time. Let's wait to see what the PPA does when Locke predictably doesn't respond to them or responds with a bunch of bullshit. Let's see at that point if they send out a warning to all their members. Let's see what they do. The point is, I've just got a gut feeling that the PPA has learned their lesson on this one. That they may not agree with me on a lot of my criticisms of them, but this is one that I think they've come to realize that I was right about. And if they're doing what I was asking, if they finally turned over a new leaf and are correcting my biggest criticism of them, then I can't complain, even if it's later than I had hoped it would be. So I give the PPA a thumbs up for doing this. And I hope they continue on this path, and I hope they continue on Locke's ass until Locke is either gone or, uh, well, they're they're never going to get their act together, but until Locke is gone or until their entire membership base is aware of what Locke is. What we really need is an organization with a big membership that can communicate about these bad sites to everyone because they have a lot more reach than this radio show does. So I'm glad it was done and that's why I was happy to help out with suggestions for the letter. You may feel differently than me but uh, that's how I feel about it. Uh, Finally, before I shut down this show, I want to talk a bit about the Donald Sterling situation. Now, I've started a new blog on toddwittelis.com. That's Todd, W-I-T-T-E-L-E-S, in my full name, .com. I had not been using that site since it got returned to me. C-Money got this magically returned to me. I still don't know how he did it, but I, I had the site stolen to me by, stolen from me 
by a cyber squatter. I tried to get it back. I failed. And somehow C-Money worked his magic and got it returned to me without paying this scumbag cyber squatter a penny, which is great. But I hadn't done anything with it until today when I decided to put up a blog. And this is going to be my ongoing blog on ToddWoodTellus.com about a number of topics, sometimes political, sometimes about sports, sometimes about poker, whatever. Uh, The title of the blog, the official title of the entire blog is Todd Wittellis and his his opinionation. Now, what is opinionation? That's not a real word. It comes from this song. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Buy up your pants. I give you a piece of my mind In my opinion nation The sun is gonna surely shine Stop all your fussing Slap on a smile Come out and walk in the sun for a while Don't mind the feeling You know you wanna have a good time Yeah, that was the theme song from Blossom. I'm ashamed to admit that my blog is kind of named after the theme song from Blossom, My Opinionation. I just thought it's a funny word. So it's not a real word. But anyway, Todd Wittellis and his opinionation. And my first form of opinionation is about the Donald Sterling mess where he was pretty damn racist in a secret recording of him talking to his girlfriend, a recording made by his girlfriend, Donald Sterling, of course, the owner of the Clippers. And the knee-jerk reaction of everyone who heard it, I shouldn't say everyone, but most people who heard it, was to say, wow, this guy should not be an NBA owner. After all, the NBA is 75% black players. The NBA has strong roots in the black community in the United States. How can a racist guy who tells his girlfriend he doesn't want her taking pictures with black people, even famous black people like Magic Johnson, he doesn't want her seen in public with black people. How could someone like that own a basketball team, of all things? This guy should not be an owner, says most people who heard this argument he had with his girlfriend, this secretly taped argument. This girlfriend that's named uh, V. Stiviano. And by the way, adding to the whole thing, V. Staviano is half black herself. Which makes the whole thing really weird. Like he doesn't want her being seen with black people, but she's a half black person herself. So people like Kobe Bryant and... LeBron James and even Magic Johnson himself came out and said, this guy shouldn't be an owner anymore. This guy should be forced out of the NBA. The NBA should say, you can't own a team anymore. You have to sell. That's what most people also said. Most people agreed with that assessment. But I think that's a knee-jerk reaction. I don't think it's correct. 
Now, of course, today it came out that uh, the new NBA commissioner banned uh, Donald Sterling from the NBA, basically, but he's not being forced to sell yet, as far as I last saw. But what about forcing him to sell? Why is that not the right thing to do? I mean, it's all right there. He made obviously very racist, outrageous comments about black people. It's all right on tape. He owns an NBA team. His own players probably all hate him. The entire league hates him. Why should a guy like this be owning a team in the mostly black NBA? Well, you'd also might want to compare it to a precedent that was already set 15 years ago with a Cincinnati Reds owner named Marge Schott. She owned the Reds up until 1999. She was very racist. She was very anti-Semitic. She made a lot of really nasty comments about Jews, about blacks, about Asians. She even had a swastika in her house. She had like a swastika band in her house. I'm not even kidding. She was banned from baseball three times in the 90s and was highly pressured to sell by Major League Baseball. She finally sold in 1999. So she hasn't owned the Reds for 15 years. She also died about 10 years ago, by the way. She was pretty old. So if Major League Baseball could force Marge Schott out back in 1999, why shouldn't the NBA do the same in 2014? I mean, we're a more enlightened society 15 years later. There's been further strides in those 15 years against racism and other social injustices. So why not do the same thing to Sterling? And by the way, I agree with forcing Schott out of the Reds, and that's just because it was anti-Semitism versus just racism. There's a very big difference between why they're trying to force out Sterling and why Schott was forced out. Marge Schott's comments, including ones like Hitler wasn't that bad, and, you know, he had the right idea, he did some good things, but he just went too far, she said in 1996. She made dumb comments like that and other racist and anti-Semitic comments in public. She made them as part of interviews. She would make them around the office and people would overhear them and report them back to the news. She wasn't making these comments in the privacy of her own home. She was probably doing it there too, but she wasn't just doing it there. The outrage over Marge Schott was not what she was doing behind closed doors in her house. It was what she was doing in interviews and in the workplace. And that was something you can't tolerate. The public and semi-public Marge Schott was a racist and anti-Semite. And you can't say, well, these are her feelings, these are her private feelings, because she was expressing them publicly. And that's where the huge difference lies. The huge difference lies. Donald Sterling made these comments behind closed doors. And you may say, well, racism is racism. Who cares if it's private racism or public racism? If you're a racist, you shouldn't be an NBA owner. But hold on. Hold on one second. (laughs) What do you know about the other 29 NBA owners? There's 30 NBA owners. Sterling's one of them. But what about the other 29? 
What do they say behind closed doors? What do they say to their wives and their girlfriends and their family and their close friends? What do they say when nobody can hear them talking? Do you think that none of them have ever made a racist, sexist, or homophobic statement when only surrounded by their friends or family? Do you think they're all angels and haven't done things like this? Well, we don't know. Maybe some of them are huge racists and are just really good at hiding it. We don't know because we don't have access to any unauthorized or illegal recordings made in their homes. And yes, this recording that was made of Sterling was illegal. In the state of California, it's illegal to record conversations without all parties' knowledge and consent. So, even though V. Stiviano knew she was recording it, she was having the conversation with Donald Sterling in his private home, and he did not know, and that's illegal. So, this was an illegally obtained recording, and then it was distributed on purpose as an act of revenge against Sterling. Now, I believe that he really said these things, I believe that he's really a racist. I believe he really feels that way of what you heard in that audio. I believe he will now forever be hated by most of the public. I believe sponsors are not going to want to advertise with the Clippers as long as he's owner. But I don't believe the NBA should set a precedent that they are going to punish someone because of material that came out from illegal recordings made in their private home. That's a very, very bad precedent to set. That if anyone ever bugs your phone or secretly tapes you when you're thinking you're speaking in private and then vindictively releases it, that not only will you suffer in the court of public opinion, but the NBA will take official action against you. Now, you can't unhear what you heard from Donald Sterling. Anybody who heard those recordings now knows that he's a racist, now knows that he has these crazy, weird ideas that his girlfriend shouldn't be seen with black people, and if you followed it more closely, that he was cheating on his wife with a woman about 50 years younger than him. Now you know all these things about him. Now you got to hear him behind closed doors. Great. Now you know the real Donald Sterling, if you didn't already from some of the bad stories about him. Now you really know him. Great. And he's going to suffer from it. From sponsors leaving, people not going to Clippers games, from players not wanting to sign with the Clippers. There's a lot of ways he'll suffer, but the NBA should not get involved with censoring him. Now, some people are saying, or not censoring, with, with uh, forcing him to sell. Now, some people are saying, hey, the NBA can do what it wants because they have control over who owns teams. They have control over the image of the league, and he has harmed the image of the league by this happening, and they have a right to kick him out. I didn't say they don't have a right to kick him out, though he's going to fight it. I'm saying that they shouldn't be kicking him out. They shouldn't be getting involved. They should be saying, while we fully condemn everything we heard in this recording, the recording was illegally obtained, it was made in his private home, 
and we are not going to get involved in this matter in disciplining someone over something said in their private home, no matter how offensive, due to the emergence of an illegal recording made in that home. Maybe you still don't agree with me. I want to tell you a little story from my past, from about 20 years ago. I was in college, and uh, at the end of the term in a specific class, you could go to the professor's office, and he had a list posted on outside of his door by student ID number, so this way he wasn't listing everyone's grades by name, where you could see your grades. You could see your final grade, and you could see everything that led up to your final grade. You got to see each score of everything that was ever graded in that class and how that adds up to your final grade. So I saw it added up to a B plus for me. And I said, wait a minute, according to my calculations, I should have had an A minus. I should have had enough points to make an A minus. So why do I have a B plus? But I looked again and I noticed that one of my homeworks was listed as zero. And I said, wait a minute, I turned in all my homework. I didn't miss any homeworks. I got all my homeworks back with good grades on them. So I went back home and sure enough, I found the homework with a perfect grade. So I brought it back to the professor the next day and said, look, here's the homework that was recorded as a zero. You can clearly see it was graded and I got 100% on it. And once you replace that zero with the full credit for the homework, my grade is going to go up to an A minus. Now, he had already submitted all the grades. So in order to change my grade, he was going to have to submit a very tedious and time consuming form. But he seemed very nice about it and said, no problem. This looks legit to me. I'll uh, look into it and get back to you tomorrow. So I said, okay, I left. But I got a very disturbing email from him. The email said, you were correct that your homework was incorrectly reported as zero, and I've given you credit. However, as the homework was stapled to a test that you had taken at the time, I decided to take a look at the test and found that you've been given too much partial credit for certain answers that were not completely right. Therefore, that negates the homework misrecording, and your overall grade remains the same, a B plus. I couldn't believe it. The test that the homework was stapled to was only stapled to it because the grader, who was different than the professor, by the way, graded both of those at the same time. And he just stapled them together to make it easier to give back to the students. So I brought them back together just for authenticity purpose, just so the guy can see that I got it back stapled to the test, just like everybody else who got that homework back stapled to the test. That's the only reason that test was still there. Otherwise, I wouldn't have brought it in. There was no reason to scrutinize that test further. But this guy was saying, hey, you're right about the homework, but uh, I went through your test again and found you got too much partial credit in a certain thing. So I'm taking that away, and the whole thing is a wash. You still have a B plus. I said, that's crap. I, I said, this is totally unfair. I came into his office and said, this is so unfair because you weren't the one who graded these tests. So you can't change the standard of which it was graded on just me. If you're going to do that, you have to recall every single test in the class and regrade those too. And you, didn't, you can't do that because those students are gone. The term is over. Some have gone home, and the rest probably threw away the test already. So there's no way to get those tests back and regrade them. So you can't just regrade mine on a harder scale. So he didn't have much of an answer for that because I was 100% right. So he started saying, well, um, well, how, how do I know the homework is, was, was really turned in on time? Maybe you just wrote that grade on there yourself. I, I, I've, got, I've got to look into this. So I, I knew he was trying to find every way out of having to fill out that grade change form. 
So I said, look, I'm not dealing with this crap anymore. You've got 24 hours to change my grade to an A minus, or I'm going to file a, an official grievance with the university against you, and I'm going to go to the school paper about this story, and you're going to look terrible. So a few hours later, he actually called me, and he said that he did change my grade to an A minus, and said he actually admitted. He said, I admit there may have been some other reasons I went and regraded that test. He didn't specifically say what they were, but he was implying to me without directly saying it that, yes, he was trying to find an excuse to not have to fill out that form. It was like semi-apologizing for it. Big asshole, though, to do that to me. Anyway, why am I telling you this story here? This professor wanted to unfairly grade my test only but nobody else's. Similarly, the media is grading Donald Sterling's private conversations in his own home while not grading the conversations that all the other NBA owners have at their homes. What are the other 29 owners saying in their home behind closed doors? We don't know. Donald Sterling is being judged on an unfair standard. I'm not saying he's a good guy. I'm saying that to exclude him from the NBA based upon a conversation he has behind closed doors in his own home that's supposed to be private, that's illegally obtained and recorded, is not fair. Unless you're going to illegally record every other NBA owner and evaluate how racist they are. Maybe all 29 owners are saints and they're never racist, never homophobic, never sexist. But maybe they are. Maybe some of them are. I bet some of them are. We don't know. Because they did not have their privacy invaded like Donald Sterling did. And again, we can't unhear what we heard about Sterling. We can't unhear the things he said. You won't change public opinion of him, but it's not fair to take illegally obtained recordings and make decisions against him regarding his ownership of the team. If you're a sponsor and you want to pull out, great. That's a business decision. If you're a fan and you don't want to go to the games and support this guy, great. That's a personal decision. If you're a player and you don't want to play with this guy, play for this guy, that's great too. Don't play for him. I can support that. But to actually force him to sell based upon this is not fair. Now, there are have been some reasons to force him to sell. For example, he was a terrible basketball owner for many, many years before this uh, current Blake Griffin and Chris Paul era that makes it a pretty good team. The Clippers were a joke for many, many years, and not, not a joke the same way like the Chicago Cubs are. The Chicago Cubs have been bad just because they've been inept. They've just made stupid decision after stupid decision, bad signing after bad signing, and they've had a lot of bad luck. But the Cubs at least have tried to be a good team. The Clippers have not. Donald Sterling was known as an especially cheap owner who realized that he could run a terrible and cheap team out there every year and he'd still get plenty of people coming to the games and he'd make a healthier profit than if he tried to field a contender. He realized that spending money to contend wasn't worth it. It's better to put a bad team out there, spend very little money, and still get a good number of people at your games because you're in a big city like L.A. For that alone, he should have been forced out of ownership. That, I think, is a sin 
that in the NBA should be unforgivable. But not what you say in your home, no matter how offensive, no matter how ignorant, no matter how racist. Now, let's say he was recorded confessing to a bad crime. Let's say Vistiviano recorded Donald Sterling admitting to molesting boys. Well, that's a different story. If you get him on tape admitting to doing something really horrendous, committing some terrible crime, and then the NBA wants to kick him out as an owner, great. Even if you can't criminally prosecute him because the tape was illegal. If it opens our eyes to the fact that he's... uh, a horrific criminal and you want to kick him out of the league for that I, I totally support that that's a different story but if all you have on him is that he's a racist jerk which he is that's not a good enough reason to kick him out when these comments were made in his private home now I've also heard arguments well he's been racist uh, not in private before he's been racist in public before uh He also had a $2 million fine he paid for violation of fair housing laws back in 2006, where he didn't want to rent to blacks in Koreatown in L.A. Okay, if you want to kick him out of the league for that, fine. Again, these were public transgressions, but not now. They're kicking him out now for something he said in private. That should not be happening. If he did things before that should have gotten him kicked out, then he should have kicked him out before. Not now. Now it's being done because of this stupid tape. Now, what about Vistiviano? Is she a freedom fighter? Is she a modern civil rights hero? Did she realize that her boyfriend was a behind-the-scenes racist who somehow owned an NBA team even though he hated black people? Did she take the matters into her own hands and pull the curtain away so everyone could see the real Donald Sterling? Is she a hero? No. V. Stiviano is a notorious gold digger with a reputation for going after super rich elderly men. He's like 50 years older than her. Uh, Obviously, she's only with him because he's a billionaire. He gave her millions of dollars in gifts during the time they were together while he was cheating on his wife. In fact, this whole thing is about the fact that his estranged wife caught him cheating on her with Vistaviano and sued Vistaviano for the gifts that she received, saying that uh, it was equivalent to embezzlement and that she manipulated him into getting these gifts. I, I'm not sure about that whole lawsuit, what the basis of it is, but basically she was being sued to get back the gifts Donald had given to her and she's being sued by Donald's wife and Vistiviano was unhappy that Donald was not doing enough to stop this so she made this tape on purpose for something to use against him something to use as revenge if she got kicked off that gravy train this was not a recording that was made spur of the moment she didn't hit record when Donald was launching into another racist tirade. No, she set this up. If you listen to her speech on the recording, you can tell that her speech is very stilted. It's very rehearsed. 
It's not a natural conversation on her end. It's natural on his end, but not on her end. Listen to a little bit of it. I don't do anything wrong. Nobody said you did anything wrong. I don't do anything wrong. If we ever have any issues, it's because people call you and tell you things about me that are not true. Listen. If there's any issue with me, it's because people call me and people call you and tell you things that are not true. It sounds like she's doing it from a script. It sounds like she rehearsed this in her head. Like, what can I say to get Donald to say these racist things? And what can I say to make myself sound really good? Broadcasting. I'm not broadcasting anything. Pictures with minorities. Why? What's wrong with minorities? What's wrong with minorities? What's wrong with black people? Like, it really is like from a script. Now again, make no mistake, Donald Sterling is a racist. He meant everything he said. But Vistiviano was not recording a conversation that wasn't just, it wasn't just taking place. She set the whole thing up. She needed ammunition in case Sterling didn't cooperate in letting her keep her millions of dollars in sleazily obtained riches. This is an angry gold digger's carefully crafted revenge plot, not a freedom fighter for people of color. Now, without the NBA forcing him to sell, even without that stupid ban they put on today, he still doesn't get off scot-free. He suffers immensely. His legacy will always be tainted. People will never look at him the same again. He's going to lose all his sponsors. He's not going to get new ones until he sells the Clippers, at which point they won't be his sponsors. He'll have a hard time signing future players to the Clippers as long as he owns the team. Existing players will probably run for the hills as soon as their contracts are over. Fans will stop attending games. He's going to suffer suffer from this personally and financially. So let the free market take care of him. The NBA does not have to get involved in punishing him for illegally obtained recordings. It's just not fair. It's an assault on free speech in your own home. Now maybe you still don't agree with me. Well, if you still don't agree with me, let me know when I can plan to bug in your home And then publish the juiciest stuff that you say. You be okay with that? You be okay with me listening to everything going on in your house and then uh, posting the worst stuff that makes you look bad? If you wouldn't be okay with that, if you think that would be unfair, if you think it would be violating your right to privacy, then how can you support what's happening to Donald Sterling, at least from the point of the NBA? If you want to support people's hatred of him for his racism, fine. But there shouldn't be official actions against him from the league over something like this that was illegally obtained in his own private home. And if there is reason to remove him as an owner that has nothing to do with this, then use that as the reason to remove him. But make it clear that it's not this. But unfortunately, it is this.
Bobby Orr saying that I'm sounding like Wally George. <laughs> Surprised he knows who Wally George is. I thought Wally George is more of a Southern California phenomenon of the 80s. But look, I'm not defending Sterling. I, I think the guy is bad in a number of ways. He's a crazy racist. He's a hypocrite, you know, being a racist and having the half-black girlfriend. He's a terrible NBA owner. Should have been kicked out of the league a long time ago for that. He wasn't a fair landlord in who he was choosing to rent to. He cheated on his wife. I mean, there's not much good to say about the guy. I'm not defending him. Not saying you should like him or hope good things happen for him. Not saying you should support him. I'm just saying the NBA shouldn't get involved here. I mean, should the NBA get involved every time that uh, someone secretly tapes an NBA owner and saying bad things? Should we now have people sneaking into homes and bugging every NBA owner and uh, seeing what they can get on them and get them kicked out? Because that's the precedent we're establishing. It's a bad precedent. We have the California law here for a reason. The reason you cannot tape people in California like this is because they want to feel like they are having, that they have privacy in their own homes. That when they're speaking to friends and family, that the speech does not go anywhere else. Can't go anywhere else. V. Stiviano violated the very spirit of that law. Not only hasn't she been arrested or prosecuted for it, but uh, the NBA is actually taking official action against Sterling for something illegally obtained. I thought that's pretty damn bad. Bad precedent to set, and I haven't looked, but I bet the ACLU feels the same way as I do. And a lot of times the ACLU and I are on different sides of a lot of matters, but I agree with them in matters like these. People should have a right to privacy, except when it has to do with criminal behavior. All right, so next week we're going to be back on Tuesday night, 6.30 or thereabouts on this show. We will have a minimum $99 free roll. And, And why am I not playing the music? There we go. So a week from today, we will do another show. I have good news for you in that uh, the World Series is not going to cause me to miss that many shows. I haven't come up with the exact World Series radio schedule yet, but from what I can see, from what I can see, throughout most or all of the World Series, I will be doing this show on its regular Tuesday night time slot, just the way it falls this year. However, I do want to tell you that uh, there will be a show that I will not be able to make, and that will be the show on Tuesday, May 20th, will actually be canceled. And it's very possible that the show on Tuesday, May 27th, may be moved a day to Wednesday, May 28th. But I'll let you know when the time comes as we enter the month of May, which to me always signifies the start of the World Series. Because the World Series starts at the very end of May. And 
this year is no exception. I'll be playing my first event on Saturday, May 31st, the Millionaire Maker event. So I'd like to thank everybody who has listened tonight live. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What happened to my... Oh, here we are. Song disappeared. Can't have that go away. I want to thank everybody who listened tonight live, everybody listening in the archives. Sorry we weren't on last week, but sometimes life gets in the way of the show. The show is not my job. I don't make any money from it, so... I do it when I can, and I try very hard to make it every week and reschedule it when I can, but sometimes I can't even reschedule it, depending upon what I have going on. So as I said, no show on the week of uh, May 20th, but I will get one done the following week, even if not on the regular date. Other than that, we should have pretty regular shows throughout the summer, and I'll let you know of any exception as we get closer. Thank you for listening tonight or wherever you are, whenever you are. Good night, and as always, Shalom.